This is the New School Project. We are a movement to inform our generation to become the best versions of themselves, to protect themselves and to thrive in this world and to know things that you're not necessarily going to be taught in school. Uh, we watched this whole entire hearing, it's about three and a half hours, and I am joined with my lovely co-hosts. Max Wolkosmolski. Did you forget your name there? Yeah, it looked no, like he forgot my pause. name. I didn't know. I, I wasn't no, going to say your name. No, I thought he was going to say my name. All right. I'm Max Kosmolski. This is the New School Project. I'm glad to be back. Uh, this is a very important topic that we need to talk about. Mm -hmm. I think it's a, I think this is a great example of America. You know, some shit happened. Some people were upset with it. They banded together and the issue got brought in front of the Senate pretty quickly. Yep. And it uh, it uncovered some deeper problems, and this is these are problems with uh, Ticketmaster and Live Nation being kind of a monopoly. And I like to see what has happened so far, and I think it's worth talking about. Absolutely, and uh, as always, we are also joined with our lovely producer, Jay Cotter. And I'm also very excited to discuss this Senate hearing, not only because I'm passionate about this issue, which I'm very passionate about this issue. I love going to concerts. I'm a musician myself, so this really hits close to home. But one thing I really enjoyed seeing throughout this whole hearing is everyone was genuinely enthusiastic about working with their teammates across the aisle. This was, I mean, obviously, in American politics, there's quite a few issues that not everybody sees eye to eye on, which can make our country seem very divided, which, I mean, our country is divided. I don't think anybody can really argue against that. But there are things that pretty much everybody agrees on. And this is a, a good point to, to bring up because this is something, this is one of those cases. It's, everyone can pretty much get behind the fact that the consumers are being screwed in this scenario. Yep. And like... Uh just like it's very, very helpful when everybody works together, uh, just a, a quick uh, um, pro quo, I really thought that the Senate came together and actually talked about this issue constructively, and uh, I thought that they did a great job. So that's some good news on the front of our democracy, you know, at full display and trying to create the best scenario for us, uh, the people. and. Why is this uh, so prominent to the people is because, like Jay said, we all love entertainment. We all love music. Uh, hell, like in the 70s and 80s and 90s, uh, we uh, were booming in entertainment because we had all, you know, some of the best musicians in the world, some of the best movies being produced, uh, all this stuff. And it's something that uh, entertainment, it's something that we consume every single day. So the the laws and um, kind of like the guidelines of this industry, I think that they do need to be even. And I think that uh, Live Nation, which is an entity that has, uh, I think they merged with Ticketmaster in 2010. Since their merger, they have, um, they have statistics that show that they are dominating the entertainment industry. And where this entertainment industry is huge, I think it's like 150 billion a year. Um, since 2010, they've grown almost uh, $7 billion. Uh, I don't think it's that much, actually. No. But I don't, I don't know the exact they, number. They say the statistic in yeah, the we'll clips that we have ready. So mm -hmm. maybe we get rolling into that and we can hear it straight from the source. We're, we got some clips from the hearing here for you guys today. 
And uh, I'm just gonna queue up a clip and then we're gonna discuss it a little bit. Let's do it. So without Sounds further good. ado, let's get into the first clip. Let's get it. I now like to turn to the subject of today's hearings, which focus on competition in the ticketing and live entertainment industry. Live event ticketing garnered a lot of attention toward the end of 2022, most notably in November when Ticketmaster systems failed during the pre-sale for Taylor Swift's new tour, leaving millions of fans stuck in virtual queues for hours waiting to buy tickets. While Ticketmaster and its parent company, Live Nation Entertainment, have offered explanations for these issues, uh, these issues are symptomatic, I think, of a larger problem. The ticketing and live entertainment markets lack competition, and they are dominated by a single entity, Live Nation. Live Nation merged with Ticketmaster in 2010 in a deal that joined the country's largest ticketing company with its largest event promoter. The Justice Department and attorneys general from many states, including Illinois, sued to block the merger. The plaintiffs ultimately allowed the merger to go through, but put in place a consent decree with a set of conditions and divestitures designed to ensure competition in ticketing and live entertainment markets. Unfortunately, that consent decree does not appear to have been effective. In the decade plus since the merger, Live Nation has consolidated its dominant position in the ticketing and live entertainment markets, and the result is a competition-killing strategy that has left artists and fans paying the price. All right. So, so he basically says that the when they the tickets went on sale, it failed, mm -hmm. and it left a lot of people who, like you said, were waiting in line to get their tickets. They weren't able to get it. And they go into it a little bit later about how it was just hammered with way more bots than usual. But uh, what he was basically saying was that they have this strategy that is anti-competitive and what we need in a free market is competition. Mm -hmm. If there's competition, if I'm business A and you're business B and you're selling your apples for five bucks and I wanna sell my apples for 10 bucks, I'm not gonna be able to do that because they're just gonna to go to you. Yep. And so I'm gonna to try to compete. I'm gonna to try to sell them at $4.50 so that I'll get the customers. You see that I'm doing that, you wanna compete. And it's best for the consumer when we have equal and fair competition. And with their practices, it seems like they're making it so that other businesses can't compete so that they end up just eating up all the business and screwing over all their competitors and the consumers, un unfortunately. Yes, and you know, with your analogy, you addressed um, the cost of the products. But another thing that this impacts, um, the lack of competition, is innovation. So in order to gain a competitive edge, companies mm -hmm. are pushed to innovate so they can provide a better product. When there's no competition, there's no push for innovation. I'm glad you mentioned that. We, we cannot forget that because that's equally as important. If there's no competition, I mean, the products are going to stay the same. Nothing new is going to happen. But, you know, with all these different industries, games, gaming industry, pharma, whatever it might be, they got to make better stuff, more innovative stuff, or they're going to be left in the dust with their competitors. <clears throat> so um, where, like, this issue lies is that... Um, where you get your tickets, right, is from essentially one site, right? And there's a few third-party sites that you can get your tickets from, but they are overseen by Ticketmaster's uh, software. So, like, you still have to go into the Ticketmaster software to utilize, say, StubHub, right? That's where your tickets get printed out, um, things like that. And with the lack of competition in the industry, uh, from the domination of the Live Nation entity. You're right, um, 
uh, I think that they say later on in the hearing that competition uh, isn't even a, a available to happen right now. And where the president of Live Nation says, well, we uh, are that way because we provide the best product, um, the guy on the other end says, hey, listen, like we can't even make a product to compete with you guys, uh, so that's why you guys have the best product. You know, It's not because you guys can make the best product or you do have the best product, it's that your company has developed through vertical integration into an entity that's dominated the whole entire entertainment industry, which is huge. I mean, it's, it's enormous. You think about the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, uh, you look at ev every concert series and all these things, and um, you know, I, I like how they brought in a bunch of different factors. Like they brought in a guy that's done uh, ticket ticket sales for 35 years. Yep, and we got clips of them introducing all of those people. Okay, yeah, here in a minute. yeah. So not to no, stop uh, no, no, the you're good. Rolling, you're good. But one thing that I want to uh, acknowledge is that. If, look at the diversity of the industry based on how many different people, uh, how many different components in this industry uh, matter. Meaning like there's the artists, you got the people, that, the producers, right? And then you got the, the ticket people, right? And all three of these, these trios are represented here by uh, obviously Live Nation. And then you got some people that are competitors of Live Nation. You also have a, a mid-level musician, right? And uh, I just think that they do a great job of uh, kind of bringing in the voices of all these components in the industry. So let's get to the clips. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, guys. You are, you're getting so excited you're talking about stuff that's six, seven clips down the line. We love music, man. We do love music. Competition uh, policy is very important to me. I believe in capitalism and to have a strong capitalist system, you have to have competition. You can't have too much consolidation, something that unfortunately for this country, as a uh, ode to Taylor Swift, I will say, we know all too well. But why am I here today and have taken this on? I, I love music. So I grew up uh, in the suburbs in high school. I remember loading into Johnny Royer's van and uh, with my friends and going off to see uh, Led Zeppelin in the cars and Aerosmith. And now I don't think it's very easy for high school kids to make their money at Baker Square Pie Shop on the weekends and buy tickets to these major concerts. So whether it's for fans, performers, promoters, or venue operators, we need to make sure we have competition to bring prices down and bring innovation in and stop the fiascos. Today, Live Nation doesn't just dominate the ticketing. It's about 70% of the big concert market, but also they own many of the major venues. And for the venues that they don't own, they tend to lock in on three, five, seven-year agreements, which means that the competitors that are out there aren't able to even compete when it comes to the ticketing. Finally, they dominate the um, promoting. So we have talked to many venues, some of which aren't willing to come forward, unlike um, one of them that is here today, but that say even if they're not out there threatening them, they're afraid to go to someone else because then they're not going to get the acts that they want. The live event experience has become increasingly out of reach for so many fans. One GAO study found that 27% of the ticket price was the fees. A recent study found that for some tickets, it's as high as 75% of face value. Purposes of hearing one, so the public can find out what's happening. Sometimes that 
on its own gets changed. Secondly, investigations are reportedly going on. We haven't had that confirmed out of the Justice Department. This is helpful for them. And the third reason is that our colleagues on a bipartisan basis can work together on legislation. Senator Blumenthal's been involved in this issue uh, for many years, and we can do something, not just to strengthen our antitrust laws, which we must do generally, but also in specifically in the ticketing industry when it comes to transparency and resale and the like. Thank you, Mr. Did you speed that clip up a little bit? Yeah, we can't be sitting around all day. All right, I, I wasn't sure. She She's really excited. She, yeah, she is very excited. Mm -hmm. Speeding it up makes it seem like she's a little bit more excited, but she is, yeah. she's very obviously passionate about the issue. I mean, she told the stories of her going to see these concerts. I mean, I think that music is just one of these universal things that everybody really connects with. You know, she, she brought up a, a couple different points within that, specifically the fact that Live Nation controls the, tick, the selling the tickets, the venues, and the promotion. I mean, that's, that's pretty messed up. When you think about how the industry is structured, they've consolidated so much of that power in their own corner. They also create uh, fear with uh, the artists, you know. That's addressed in a little bit. Yeah, okay. You just keep getting ahead of yourself. Yeah, just, what, what's in the clip? Oh, no, yeah. I, I want to talk about it, too. I'm, yeah. I'm, like, trying to make sure I don't spoil anything by saying anything. Okay, well, we yeah. We get all the important stuff. They, the they definitely created a triangle, right? The promoting, the, um, the venue, and then the musician. That's a big triangle around the tickets right the tickets what brings in the money so that all of those things get handled right artist comes gets paid the the promoting people that do their job and promote the show they get paid right and then the venue gets paid and all that money comes from the ticketing so i feel like what they're starting to talk about is the reach that live nation has on basically every every spoke in this in this wheel you know yeah, and I mean, we talk about the service fees, and the, the service fees in these scenarios, they do they go to the venues, which Live Nation owns and operates. And uh, in this clip, she said sometimes 27%, like on average, 27% of the cost of the ticket is fees. Mm -hmm. and, so, and they saw it as high as 75%. Did she yeah. say it in that, yeah. in that clip? Yeah. Yeah, that's ridiculous. There's, mm -hmm. There isn't really a reason for that. Yeah, I mean, and I understand that it costs money to put on these shows. The venues, it, it does cost money to keep the lights on, um, and the promoters need their money too. But the issue comes in the fact that that's all Live Nation. It's just one person. And aside from that, I mean, I'm not even necessarily complaining about the prices, although the prices are, they're, they're a little bit high. I, I would like to see the prices come, come down a bit, but my main gripe here is the fact that they're not transparent about the pricing. Mm -hmm. if, if it's going to be 75 bucks, don't tell me it's $50 and then surprise me with that extra $25. At the end of checkout. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hate that. I despise that. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, Refresh my memory. Do do the service fee prices scale with the price of the ticket? So, like, say, like, uh, the ticket's uh, demand went up, right? So the price goes up. 
all right, say the, the ticket that was $50 is now $150, right? Is the service fee 27% of that $150 now? So that's something that they get into a little bit later in the hearing. I'll, I'll address it a little bit now. So there's primary ticketing providers and there's secondary ticketing providers. Okay. So the primary ticketing providers, they deal directly with the artists selling those tickets. And so they are the first point of purchase. Now, if somebody resells those tickets through a company like StubHub, that's a secondary ticketing marketplace, mm -hmm. which then StubHub takes their own cut. So within the price of this ticket that somebody's selling, so say ticket costs $50, $25 in service fees, then on top of that, say the, the demand goes up, they're like, okay, I'm gonna sell this for 150 bucks on StubHub, I mean, obviously they already paid the service fees on the primary ticketing provider, but when they bring it over to the secondary ticketing provider, the secondary ticketing provider has their own fees involved. So it kind of just stacks on top of itself. It, it does stack, but do you think that the service fee on the primary ticket provider would scale with the price of the ticket? Meaning like if the service fee is normally, let's say 2350, right, for a $50 ticket, which is like 40%, right? Um, would that ticket that's now $150 be like $63 in service fees? Generally it is. Yeah. That, that's yeah, my question. I'm not even sure. I would have just said it's a case by case. As it's, it's addressed, they go more in depth with how these service fees work mm -hmm. further in. So let's hear, let's hear a little let's bit more straight to the from clips. the source. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And thank you, Chairwoman Klobuchar. Uh, really looking forward to uh, my ongoing service on the antitrust subcommittee, um, uh, along with, uh, with with Senator Klobuchar as, as chair. Uh, to be honest, I had hoped um, uh, as of a few months ago to get the gavel back, but once again, she's chair captain and I'm on the bleachers. So I just want to address all of these terrible Taylor Swift jokes that everyone's chiming in with that are getting zero laughs. <laughs> yeah, it's more funny to just make fun of their stupid jokes than their joke is. They all do it. Uh, it it's great. And you know, the people that are making the jokes, they're not even laughing when someone else does it, which leads me to believe like some stuffy senator's like, he thinks that one's good. Wait till he hears mine. <laughs> We've got to remember that for those who follow antitrust policy, the ticketing space in the last few years has also offered a natural experiment for evaluating both the efficiency claims of merging parties and the federal government's efforts to protect competition using antitrust laws. Back in 2010, the Obama Justice, Justice Department, uh, the Antitrust Division, concluded an investigation into uh, the then proposed merger of Ticketmaster, the nation's largest and dominant ticketing provider, and Live Nation, the uh, country's largest concert promoter. In a complaint alleging that the merger violated the Clayton Act, the department argued that it would eliminate recent but quickly growing head-to-head -head competition in the marketplace for ticketing services. However, instead of just stopping the merger, uh, the, the Obama Justice Department in 2010 said that the department would approve it if and only if the parties agreed to a proposed consent decree. The consent decree that was entered into by Ticketmaster and Live Nation addressed two additional concerns. First, that the combination of the two companies would allow the merged firm to tie the provision of ticketing services and concert promotion. In other words, that Live Nation could force venues to use Ticketmaster in order to get concerts and vice versa. And second, that it might retaliate against venues that didn't comply 
with this arrangement. Now, Ticketmaster will tell you that the settlement agreement um, was something that they were willing readily to enter into. They weren't bothered by the consent decree at all because this would, uh, according to them, essentially be the functional equivalent of their offering the sleeves off of their vest. Uh, and, and the Ticketmaster and Live Nation readily agreed not to engage in behavior that the merged firm had no incentive and no intention of undertaking. And yet, here we are, almost 13 years later, faced with a flotilla of allegations and complaints that the merged entity has done exactly what it said would never happen. While DOJ undoubtedly wants to know whether Ticketmaster is violating the consent decree, Congress should be asking whether the consent decree was the right decision in the first place. Was the divestiture sufficient to ensure competitive pressure on the combined entity of Ticketmaster and Live Nation? Were the behavioral remedies capable of preventing that very kind of abuse? So they were concerned 13 years ago that exactly what is happening now would happen. So they put out this consent decree, and obviously they're here uh, at this hearing, or else, you know, this consent decree would have been effective, but clearly it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And what did they say? Uh, they, 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 there was two things in the consent decree. What were they? That they would not penalize venues from going into other ticketing platforms, and then that they would not just make it so that their own venues like only use it. Oh, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which. Yeah, I think that that's what happened in 2010, correct? Yes. So 13 years ago, now we're dealing with this. I mean, I feel like this could have been foreseen, you know, and then it was passed anyway with this little, uh, what what's it called? Consent decree? Yeah, with that, you know. They're so like, it, it, let them merge. It's like saying like, all right, let's let Pepsi and Coke merge, you know, and, and uh, you know, but you guys got a dissent decree. Or whatever it's called. They they must have not had harsh penalties or something because clearly they didn't follow this consent decree and they were able to operate, you know, in business the last 13 years and do, you know, just fine the entire time. Yeah, I mean, you see this with a lot of regulations where they make more money by just breaking the law and paying the fine than they would if they were to operate within the requirements. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, you don't even want to get me started. That's all I see in the financial industry. You know, JP Morgan, they they do some rigging in, in the markets, and then they're like, oh, we made $8 billion, and we only got to pay a $980 million fine. It was worth it. So I, I hate seeing this. And, I mean, this, is, this makes capitalism look bad. You know, when capitalism is not uh, fairly regulated and rigorously regulated i mean when this shit gets out of control then it ruins capitalism for everybody and it, not only this uh you know regulating against monopolies and stuff but also the the corruption behind the scenes and you know with our politicians and whatnot that those are the two things that are just destroying capitalism yeah and making it look horrible campaign financing plays a huge role in this because our politicians can just legally accept bribes from these massive corporations yeah mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they get into a situation like like a Senate hearing or something like that, and they know they took however many thousands of dollars from this company. And they're like, oh, I better say what they want me to say. Yeah, yep. you, you know Pfizer gives you a million bucks, so you, 
their, their product is always going to be good no matter what under any circumstances. That's, that's the sad reality of how this happens in our political system. Insert any major corporation. Yeah. Yeah. You look at, uh, you look at like past issues in the world that get solved, right? It's always because, uh, the, like the party that's like, that is the victim in the scenario, right? They, it's always when they don't have any ability to even fight back, you know? And, that's kind of why monopolies are fucked, right? You look at like real big issues like uh, like slavery throughout the world, right? Th that party they can't they can't do anything, right, about what's going on because they're in a dictatorship or whatever they're in, right? And then boom, it gets brought because they're you know not helpless because everybody is awesome individuals and everybody has strength in their own stuff, but when an entity gets to a certain point where no other person even can touch them or affect what they do, that's when I feel like it's a problem. And it does make capitalism look bad. Like, we're capitalists, like, we, we wanna make a shit ton of money. We wanna win, we wanna thrive. We want to help our communities and use that capital to create jobs and, and uh, you know, like, r run a business, right? But at a certain point, when things become almost like a dictatorship, you know, I almost feel like the that word and and monopolies go hand in hand. It's just kind of like a, a different playbook. Yeah, and Jay and, I, Jay and I were talking about an analogy earlier. Like in the game Monopoly, like no matter what, eventually one person just owns everything. You get bigger and bigger, and you get more power to just you know grow exponentially. Mm -hmm. And that's that's literally the that's the end game. One person owns all the property on the board and mm -hmm. all the money and. That is, you know, capitalism is not perfect. That's one of the things that we need to watch out for and we have watched out for in the past, successfully and unsuccessfully, of course. Mm -hmm. But it is something that we need to watch out for because it's not a perfect system. That's true. And pure capitalism, a lot of the time, it does, it hurts the consumer because companies are incentivized to cut costs in whichever way possible. And I'm saying this as someone who I wholeheartedly support capitalism. I just think that you need regulation. That, and I don't think that's a total issue. Some people take exception to that, but I think that just we as the people, we need to consolidate our own power in order to keep these major corporations in check and make sure that the playing ground is it's, it's even field, you know? This is, mm -hmm. a, this is a great example of the power of people and you know how they can bring an issue that that we're all not happy with to like you know this the biggest stand you know the the place where this thing can be debated the thing where the place where this problem can get solved for all of us you know because it, it it really is a problem you know i mean at least i see it see it that way yeah i love i love taking my woman to concerts like even like three four years ago i feel like it wasn't as expensive, you know? And then the fees, man. The fees are something that I've been hearing, especially because we're in the jam industry a little bit, that it's like, last two years, you know, I've been hearing more about fees than like the ticket price. They're like, Where the, where's this fee price coming from? This service price. It's almost like you have to spend like 0.1 ETH to fucking, you know? get it to go through the fucking the uh crypto rig that's farming electricity and that's the service fee it's like all right you know what's up with this yeah for those who don't understand he's referencing the 
the transaction fee for executing a smart contract on the Ethereum network. Yeah. Yeah, and when service fees were originally born, it was like a $7 service fee or something like that. I mean, I'm not enthusiastic about spending more money. I don't think anyone's enthusiastic about spending more money. I think obviously everyone wants to get the best deal possible, but I understand there's operating costs and that you need to cover those operating costs. And sometimes that means the cost is passed on to the consumer. That's not what I have an issue with here. And I said it earlier, I have an issue with the lack of transparency. Just tell me how much the fucking ticket is going to cost. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you on that. Like they, they're, there, some fees are necessary. I mean, like you said earlier, it costs money to keep the lights on at this venue. You got to hire security, this person, that person, who's doing the lights, who's doing the audio, who's doing this, that, you know, who's selling the alcohol, whatever. Mm -hmm. But when it's just useless fees that they can just charge just because, and I don't have any like actual examples of this, like nothing specific, but you know, they're out there, you know, there's unnecessary fees that they charge just because they fucking can. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that eventually that's just gonna be a thing of the past. And it, it's speculative, but I'd hope that maybe uh, a lot of these, and we've talked about this, Pecker, uh, tickets for sporting events or t concerts or whatever, it can be moved to the blockchain. Mm -hmm. And any of these service fees could be a thing of the past because it would, it would just be the transaction that's going on on the blockchain that would be your service fee. Mm -hmm. And it would just be pennies, if, if that. But I mean, that's, that's way down the road. And yeah, that's that, separate from the operating costs. Blockchain right now is like a, a toddler when if they were to take on that uh, type of responsibility as a, an exchange, um, it, they would have to be adults at that point, the, the whole industry. Yeah, but this also, is 2001 of the internet. Let me, let me bring this up. So like when you make a website, some people make landing pages, it's a funnel. And eventually like uh, analytics have gotten so good that if you're on a certain person's site for like a minute, 45 seconds, they know psychologically that you've read some stuff and you're interested, right? And you know that can be utilized in a positive way. Now, if you're on Ticketmaster's site and you've already spent two and a half hours going through this because the seats keep disappearing before you can check out, right? And then you do check out. And at the end of your checkout, then now you're aware of that price, right? That's where you get pissed, right? You're like, all right, I just spent this time of my life trying to get these tickets. I thought it was gonna be this price. You finally get to the end of the funnel, right? The end of the landing page in reference and, and then boom. You know, you've came this far, but you got to pay a little bit more. And, and that is 100% a strategy. And that a strategy with what seems like a very large uh, spread net or grip on the industry from Live Nation and the Ticketmaster entity, then it really does seem like they're leveraging, you know, their dominance or their monopoly, mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah. So uh, I think that they've been using a lot of this. Uh, data in order to analyze the elasticity of these service fees. So in economics, the elasticity, there's a base price of a product that elasticity measures how much the price could increase or decrease and still have somebody be willing to purchase that product. Mm -hmm. And so I think over the years, Ticketmaster has gotten more brazen with their service fees because they've seen people will pay them. And then another thing I wanted to bring up earlier when you mentioned the blockchain. I do think that there's definitely 
a potential for this to be a, a good solution for uh, ticket sales, but they talk about the, the bot attack on Taylor Swift's uh, on sale, and think about how many hacks there have been in the crypto world. I think that the security of all of that would need to increase by quite a bit in order yeah. to oh, yeah. really be viable. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's different networks. Some that have gotten hacked plenty of times. Uh, Polygon has gotten hacked. Uh, Solana network isn't reliable. And then there's other networks that you know, like Bitcoin has been pretty pretty damn secure the entire time. I mean, it's it's all dependent on the system. Like mm -hmm. whatever they do, they got to use the right system. True. Yeah, and hopefully those systems, you know, will eventually uh, solve some of these problems and gain the skills to be in an entity like that where they can you know mitigate the risk of these bot attacks or uh um these these uh service fees or you know all this stuff you know maybe maybe it will solve the problem but right now it can't you know going back to like yeah. it's young you know mm -hmm. things take time yep it's just not there yet Let's get back to these clips. Yeah, so we're gonna watch a couple in a row here. So what we're about to see is the introductions for all of the witnesses. So I'm just gonna let all of these roll through real quick. So we'll get to know the people that we're gonna be hearing from. Thanks, Senator Lee. Let me welcome the six witnesses whom I'll introduce. Joe Berktold serves as Live Nation Entertainment's president and CFO. In this role, Mr. Berktold oversees finances, the world's largest live entertainment and ticket company. Jack Grotzinger. Jack Grotzinger, co-founder and CEO of SeatGeek mobile-focused fo ticketing platform. The company originally launched as an aggregator of resale ticket listings, but now operates as both a primary ticket outlet and secondary marketplace for sports teams and live event venues. Jerry Michelson is the co-founder of Jam Productions of Chicago, a Chicago-based concert pr promotion agency and one of the largest independent producers of live concert entertainment in the country. Sal Nuzzo, Senior Vice President of the James Madison Institute, or JMI, Tallahassee-based think tank focusing on free market economics in Florida. Kathleen Bradish serves as the American Antitrust Institute's Vice President for Legal Advocacy. Clyde Lawrence is a leader of the band Lawrence and a musician, co composer, and producer. In December, Mr. Lawrence wrote an op-ed in the New York Times titled, Taylor Swift's Live Nation Debacle is Just the Beginning. In it, Mr. Lawrence explained how Live Nation's market dominance negatively impacted artists like himself. I look forward to hearing his perspective today. After so we just heard from the whole panel of witnesses. Uh, you brought it up earlier. They really did a, a decent job at bringing people from all aspects of the industry and people that are tangentially related to the industry as well. Um, so we just got a little bit of background on all of these witnesses. Next, we are going to roll into their opening statements. So each of these witnesses has the opportunity to make a five minute statement and then uh, we'll discuss what they have to say. So we're just gonna keep the clips rolling. Up Great. next Let's do it. some witnesses. I'm Joe Berkfeld, President and Chief Financial Officer of Live Nation Entertainment. I thank you for the invitation to appear today to address these important issues in the live entertainment industry so we can together work to make things better. For almost 20 years, Live Nation has operated in the United States and around the world with an artist-first business model that is focused on helping put artists on stage and connecting them with their fans. We believe that the artist-fan connection is the foundation of the live entertainment industry, the source of all, nearly all commercial value, and the number one thing that public policy should protect. Over this period, we have helped the industry grow rapidly. In 2022, live music was a $12 billion industry in the United States, 
four times what it was in 2005. To fuel this growth, Live Nation has invested billions of dollars, funding artists globally, $9 billion in 2022 alone. Given our level of investment in artists, it is also critical for Live Nation to have the most effective platform possible for selling tickets. Since our 2010 merger with Ticketmaster, we have invested over $1 billion in capital to improve the Ticketmaster system. Much of this was on technologies to eliminate fraud and to get tickets to fans instead of ticket scalpers using bots, a prime example of which is our verified fan service. Today's Ticketmaster is best in class in conducting large on-sales, marketing concerts, preventing frauds, and getting tickets into the hands of real fans. I do want to take a moment to address some confusion about what Ticketmaster and other primary ticketing platforms do and don't do. Primary ticketing companies, including Ticketmaster, do not set ticket prices. We do not decide how many tickets go on sale and when, and we do not set service fees. Pricing and distribution strategies are determined by the artists and their teams. Service fees, even if they're called ticketing fees, are retained mainly by the venues. And their portion of the service fee that Ticketmaster retains has been falling steadily over time. This leads to the topic of today's hearing competition in ticketing markets. We hear people say that the ticketing markets are less competitive today than they were at the time of the Live Nation Ticketmaster merger. That's simply not true. In 2009, the Department of Justice alleged that Ticketmaster's market share was over 80%. It's a different story today. The most obvious change is the emergence of the enormous secondary ticketing market in which Ticketmaster has a modest market share and many strong competitors. But also in primary ticketing, the Ticketmaster of 2010 did not face the level of competition that we face today with new competitors highly capitalized, including SeatGeek, AEG's Access, and Eventbrite, along with established competitors, including Tickets.com and Pacquiao. Ticketmaster has lost, not gained, market share since the merger. And as I mentioned, today's competitive bidding process with numerous credible alternative ticketing companies result in getting less of the economic value in a ticketing contract every year. There are problems in the ticketing industry, problems we believe can and should be addressed through legislation. Many are the direct result of industrial scale ticket scalping that goes on today. A $5 billion industry in concerts alone in the United States fueled by practices that run counter to the interests of artists and their fans. The recent on-sale experience with Taylor Swift, one of the world's most popular artists, has highlighted the need to address these, ur these issues urgently. We knew bots would attack that on sale and planned accordingly. We were then hit with three times the amount of bot traffic that we'd ever experienced. And for the first time in 400 verified fan on sales, they came after our verified fan pass password servers as well. While the bots failed to penetrate our systems or acquire any tickets, the attack requires to slow down and even pause our sales. This is what led to a terrible consumer experience, which we deeply regret. We apologize to the fans. We apologize to Ms. Swift. We need to do better, and we will do better. Ticketmaster learned valuable lessons from this on sale. In hindsight, there are several things we could have done better. And let me be clear, the Ticketmaster accepts its responsibility as being the first line of defense against bots in our industry. It's an ever-escalating arms race. But in this forum where we're here to discuss public policy, we also need to recognize how industrial scalpers using bots and cyber attacks to unfairly gain tickets has contributed to this awful experience. There are many things we can and should accomplish together. We should enlarge the scope of the Bots Act and increase enforcement. We should enact categorical prohibitions on fraudulent ticket practices, including deceptive URLs and offering for sale tickets before they're on sale in the primary. We should mandate all-in pricing so the fans see the full cost of their tickets from the start. We share your goal of making live entertainment industry better for artists, teams, and fans alike, and it's in that spirit that I sit before you today to work with you to make the fan experience better. I look forward to answering your questions. All right, so right off the bat, I do want to say he brought up some good points. I think all-in pricing is a great idea. I've been saying it this entire podcast. Just tell me how much the fucking tickets cost. Mm -hmm. it's, that's not that big of a deal. 
and uh, cracking down on companies selling tickets for events before the actual on sale even happens. So before any tickets are available, these companies will post tickets for sale that are multiple times the original face value, just knowing that they can recoup their costs when they go on sale. Even if the tickets do get marked up, they'll be able to make money within that profit margin, which I, I think that's a huge issue, obviously. That's fraudulent, um, and you're defrauding consumers. You don't even own the product yet. and yet It's you're unethical. It. Yes. I, do, I think that's an issue. I think that he really was focused on placing the blame on bots and cyber attacks, which obviously it impacts what's going on, but he failed to address the structural concerns of how Live Nation operates in every single facet of the live event experience, which obviously, I mean, that guy, he was, he was coached. He, he was coached on what to say. He was sure. very prepared for this, and his coach definitely wanted him to avoid talking about that. Yeah, his job is to make the company look good, even though what they've been doing might not be that good. I mean, he's up there to make it seem like they're not doing nearly as bad as, or what they're doing. He's up there to make it seem like what they're doing is not nearly as bad as it actually is. And, uh... Yeah, what you said about the all-in pricing, like that that's a no-brainer. The only reason they do that is cuz, you know, like I go to get some tickets, 40 bucks a piece. Oh, it's not that bad. I'm going to buy it. Oh, I'm already at checkout and then I find out there's $17 in service fees. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people will just say screw it and they'll just pay it cuz they they already went through the whole process, put in their information or whatever. And then the other thing, selling tickets that don't that you don't own yet, I I don't think that's ethical at all. I mean, what if what if they were going to sell out immediately to you know just random uh, people like you and I? What if the customers ended up buying it all and then you promised to go sell these tickets that you don't have? We see stuff like that happen in the financial industry. That's mm -hmm. what caused the GameStop squeeze because uh, there was a company that was shorting 140 percent of all existing shares, and you know there's only 100 percent shares. That's the total, 100 percent. They were shorting 140%. So when, when people are allowed to do this, things can get out of whack. People can get hurt. Things can get skewed. So, yeah, I mean, what he said, I mean, what I, I can't argue with that. I mean, he, he said he supports more regulation on the bots. Mm -hmm. I support that. The all-in pricing, I mean, I support that. So, so far, I support everything he said, but, you know, he's there to make his company look good. So full disclosure, what, uh, for our audience, what is a bot? Just an algorithm that'll go grab your ticket faster than you can grab it. And impersonate a real person? Yeah. Some of the more exclude. sophisticated ones, they talked about in this on sale for Taylor Swift, they got way more bot traffic than they ever anticipated. Mm -hmm. And uh, they actually, so Ticketmaster has this thing set up, it's called verified fan presale. So basically, you need to like register with your phone number and stuff, and they do a decent amount to verify that you're an actual human. And then if you're on this verified fan pre-sale list, then you get a password sent to you before the on-sale, and you have to enter this password into Ticketmaster's website in order to purchase the tickets. And recently, the, that was compromised by bots. Jeez. So their whole system that's based around verifying that you're a human failed. Failed, right? 
Jeez. And they addressed this further in the in the hearing. So. How did that how did that even happen? Did all these bots like create phone numbers? There's incredibly sophisticated ways to spoof your identity online nowadays. And we see it in so many different areas of uh, internet fraudulent activity. Uh, we see it, well, I mean, it's always scammers, but there's a bunch of different flavors of scammers. Mm -hmm. So impersonating someone else online is fairly easy. Yeah, they, they need to crack down on that bot stuff. And I mean, it's it's all over. I mean. You know, like mm -hmm. you go to get like some some clothing, like some Supreme clothes or whatever. Some brand is drop doing a clothes drop. There, the bots get to it all first. Mm -hmm. Shoes. You know, we know people who would go in and uh, try to get shoes that are dropping, and mm -hmm. the bots would just go get it. And you know, it's it's all in the financial industry. You know, when when mm -hmm. you see that, uh, like a lot a lot of the big stock moves. I mean, it's it's just algorithms. You know, when when Jerome Powell says that they are or aren't going to raise interest rates or whatever the inflation numbers are, they have algorithms to read that headline and or read what he says and place a, a buy or a sell order faster than any human can even comprehend what was just said. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it presents an unfair advantage in every way, shape, and form. Yeah, and in quite a few industries, this actually, companies are incentivized to not deal with this because... Uh, you think about uh, Supreme or, or Nike doing a limited drop for their product. If the bots are out there in full force, they just sold out immediately. Yeah. They yeah. just sold every single that one of their units. And then Ticketmaster expanding into the secondary ticketing market means not only are they incentivized to let the bots come in because they get that initial purchase, they get a commission on that, but then they get a commission on the resale as well. Yes. Yeah, they, they would rather have every single buyer be one that resells because then they'll resell with them and collect a second fee. Exactly. Two fees is more profitable than one. Listen, the middleman doesn't give a fuck about what the end user's price is going to be because mm -hmm. they're always taking their cut, right? And then the supplier, right, they don't give a fuck about it because they just sold out. Mm -hmm. You know, so what does that leave? It leaves like the user, which is the end user of the ticket, shorthanded. Not to mention, um, like, let's hope that this isn't a, a plan on Live Nation's part to practice in uh, these practices or practice in these, uh, the, ways that, the ways that they go about their business and incentivize people to use Ticketmaster, both venues, users, uh, bands, right? Let's, let's hope that their plan isn't to use, utilize these tactics and then pay a fucking fine that was a, a, a drop in the bucket compared to the money that they made through pursuing these type of strategies. Like the, the consequences for these strategies should be more, uh, it shouldn't leave them with a profit. It needs to be you know? harsher. Or, yeah, or time, we're going to see more of it throughout all industries, straight up. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I think. And when a lot of industries are showing signs of consolidation, right? that leads to, like we said, lack of competition, lack of innovation, lack of, um, you know, what really matters. Because when people innovate and when there's competition and the users, which are human beings, when they are the people that are buying these products and services, uh, they're gonna make it the best for those people. And we deserve the best, you know? And without the competition and the innovation, we're not gonna get the best. We're gonna get, you know, 
we're going to get the same shit that that you know the top person's going to produce and they have no competition so it's just their word against you know these people that'll never come out of the woodworks uh and mm -hmm. create a better product than live nation to get master 100 percent, and you know Amy Klobuchar at the beginning of this hearing kind of referenced the fact that this isn't the only industry that we are seeing consolidation in. I don't think it's a mystery to anybody. So many small businesses, independently owned businesses, closed down during the year of 2020. 100,000. Yeah, we lost so many small businesses and that market share is obviously just now, it's, it's scooped right up by these top players. Now within this hearing, I think there's actually two things at play. I think one, obviously, Live Nation has become a monopoly. Uh, that, that, that's my opinion. Obviously, this hearing is kind of set like this to get to the bottom of if Live Nation is a monopoly or not. Mm -hmm. But I think the second thing is really about consumer protection. And I think that's where the bots come in because it really just does hurt consumers in all industries if we have these bots. And so it's really, uh, action needs to be taken in two ways. We need to make sure that these major corporations aren't just consolidating all of the market share and uh, forcing the little guys out through strong-armed business practices. And we need to make sure that there's regulations in place so that once, these com once we get the playing field balanced and there's not monopolies, that the consumer still isn't being hurt. Because mm -hmm. even if Ticketmaster was split up into a bunch of different companies, there's still the fact that if bots buy out 100% of the tickets, they just sold as much as they possibly could. And Correct. it doesn't matter if it's one big company doing that or a bunch of small companies doing that, it still just hurts the consumer. Mm -hmm. It does hurt the consumer. And uh, <clears throat> one thing that's brought up is that there's, when, when a company is like that, there's no negotiation involved in the deal making, right? Mm -hmm. So like we're, like in this case where these artists are the people that are bringing all these fans into the stadium, right? Uh, they don't get a say on, you know, what the ticket price should be when it's a Live Nation event. And through that, when they all, they also don't get to say like, hey, I want, you know. I think they do get to determine no. the ticket price. No, they don't. So the representative of Live Nation in his opening statement claims that the artists set the ticket price. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. During Clyde Lawrence's bit, he does shed a little bit more light on that. I think we should move over to the next witness, though, who is the founder of StubHub. Real quick, let's, uh, let's move forward to that. And I just want to bring up the fact that uh, Jay's point is extremely valid. Uh, I think Klobuchar said 75% of industries in the USA are, are, are showing signs of consolidation. And uh, through that, this is a big deal. It's a big deal that our Senate worked together, what it seems like. It's a big deal that what happens with this trial, because that's going to uh, determine how they move forward with the consolidation in the other industries in, in the United States. And if you're somebody that's at home that doesn't necessarily go to concerts or doesn't necessarily go to games or anything like that, right, and you want change in this country, uh, positive change, change for the people, uh, you want to tune into this because it matters moving forward. All right, let's queue up this next. Good morning, Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Graham, Senators Klobuchar and Lee, and members of the committee. My name is Jack Ratzinger. I am the co-founder and CEO of SeatGeek. 
And like so many millions, I am a fan. I grew up in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Some of my happiest childhood memories are going to see Cleveland Crunch games with my dad. That's an indoor soccer team, uh, seeing Cavs games with friends. My co-founders and I started SeatGeek because we believe profoundly in the power of live events, these magical things that create incredible moments, and yet believe that the experience of actually buying tickets is very much the opposite. It's antiquated, ripe for innovation. I've spent the last 13 plus years working in this industry, and there are three things that are clear to me and are clear to many others who work in live entertainment. Number one, a lack of robust competition in our industry meaningfully stunts innovation, and consumers are who suffer. Number two, venues fear losing Live Nation concerts if they don't use Ticketmaster. And number three, the only way to restore competition in this industry is to break up Ticketmaster and Live Nation. Some quick background on SeatGeek. We started the company in 2009, and initially, as was mentioned, we were a search engine that allowed users to search across a lot of sites. The company evolved, grew over time, and importantly to this discussion, in 2016, we entered the primary ticketing market. Throughout our evolution, we have maintained intense focus on the consumer. We've launched many industry-first features that make it easier and more affordable for fans to go to events. And I'm super proud of all of the work that we've done at SeatGeek, but I also recognize the ongoing challenges that face our industry some of which have recently been front page news. The best way to address those challenges is to ensure there is robust competition where businesses and consumers can select the best products and services based on their merits. That does not happen today. It does not happen because Live Nation controls the most popular entertainers in the world, routes most of the large tours, operates the ticketing systems, and even owns many of the venues. This power over the entire live entertainment industry allows Live Nation to maintain its monopolistic influence over the primary ticketing market. As long as Live Nation remains both the dominant concert promoter and ticketer of major venues in the US, the industry will continue to lack competition and struggle. As discussed, Live Nation Entertainment is the product of the 2010 merger of Ticketmaster and Live Nation. And as, as was also mentioned, they entered into a consent decree, which banned Ticketmaster from threatening or retaliating against venues by withholding Live Nation concerts. That did not work, it has not worked at all. The DOJ's 2009 investigation confirmed that Live Nation had violated the consent decree repeatedly, almost since its inception. The DOJ identified numerous examples of Live Nation threatening and retaliating against venues that did not contract with Ticketmaster. Today, Ticketmaster's estimated market share is over 70% of the U.S. primary ticketing market. Ticketmaster is the primary ticketing provider for more than 80% of the NBA, NHL, and NFL teams. Live Nation is also the largest promoter of major concerts in the world, promoting more than 73% of the top 25 tours in, uh, in the U.S. in 2021. It is no mystery why no other company has significantly penetrated the primary ticketing market. Major venues in the U.S. know that if they move their primary ticketing business from Ticketmaster, they risk losing revenue they earn from Live Nation concerts. They know this because Live Nation has told them so. Directly and indirectly, through its public pronouncements, private communications, and subsequent retaliation against venues that have signed deals with a competitor. The DOJ found that as a consequence of Live Nation's conduct, quote, venues throughout the United States have come to expect that refusing to contract with Ticketmaster will result in the venue receiving fewer Live Nation concerts or none at all, unquote. Our industry provides a cautionary tale about how behavioral remedies cannot solve the problems inherent in an anti-competitive merger. The only effective remedy now is a structural one, the dissolution of the common ownership of Ticketmaster and Live Nation. To improve our industry, we must restore competition. At SeatGeek, we deeply care about the live event industry and believe it's time to give fans, teams, artists, and venues alike the choices they deserve. It's a privilege to be included in this discussion. Thank you so much for your time and attention. For your time and attention. All right. Wow. Yeah. So he said the DOJ uh, came to the conclusion that they did violate the dissent, the con dissent, what the hell is it called? The, con uh, the consent, consent decree. decree. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, say, stating that uh, artists thought that they weren't going to get booked with Live Nation. 
or or, the, or oh the, yeah then the shows venues were going to get fewer or none at all uh mm -hmm. uh bookings or whatever unless they use Ticketmaster. yeah and they actually they go a little bit further in depth um in the the hearing going as far as to read off some of the um emails from live nation mm -hmm. and i think uh so the one quote that sticks out is i believe it was the president of Live Nation telling a venue that they would go fucking nuclear. Oh yeah, I remember that. Which remember that's just that. like, what is this, the fucking mob? You're really gonna strong arm these venues into doing this? Like, that is fucked up. That's not how, that's not how capitalism works. That's not how communism works. I mean, fuck, dude. You can't just be strong arming people with threats in order to get them to do your fucking bidding. Yeah. Yeah, so let, I mean, this guy, he seems like he's coming from a place of love, right? Uh, and uh, it seems like the other strategy from Live Nation is fear, mm -hmm. right? Which one of the biggest things that I thought he said, which I feel like is prominent, is uh, that he said it's no mystery, you know, why this is the way that it is, why Live Nation dominates the industry. It's no mystery. And I feel like uh, we as the people understand these things, you know? I don't think we're naive. I don't think that we're stupid. I don't think that, you know, maybe sometimes we don't do our research and we just uh, look at clips and we, we try to think about, you know, a three-hour uh, hearing as just a clip. But I think it's no mystery that this is happening and I, I don't think it's a mystery that it's bullshit. And uh, through that, I'm just super fucking excited to see what happens with it. I just wanted to bring that in because you got like, uh, what, love and evil, you know? And then, you know, you got this guy operating off faith and love that he's like, all right, maybe we have a fucking shot to take down this conglomerate and hope, maybe not take them down, but hopefully at least as to allow us to have competition, allow us to put our product, which I think he might say in the future that he thinks that he could do a better product than Ticketmaster. Well, that's one of the things he brought up in his testimony was the fact that SeatGeek has been pushing innovation in the industry. And to see a company that's pushing for innovation and growth be strong-armed out of the industry, not on the basis of the other company providing a better product, but just because of the consolidation of power in the industry, that's messed up, and obviously it's hurting the consumer. And not actually, um, not actually a small company either being strong armed. Yeah, you know, this is a, we're talking this about major. we're talking about that that they're major, and the the podium from first place to second place is like one's on the fucking thirty sixth floor and one's in the fucking lobby. Mm -hmm. You know, like they can't even you know they can't even get the meetings. You know, they're in the lobby. They can't. They don't even have an opportunity to. Yeah, and then this next guy, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but his company's been operating for almost 50 years. And he, he discusses it with, within this, like how, this, how the merger of Live Nation and Ticketmaster directly affected his company. Wait, SeatGeek has been? No, or the next Mr. Guy? Jerry Mickelson up here. He's the uh, owner and operator of Jam Productions. Mm -hmm. Oh. So let, let, let's just roll right in and hear from him. Yep. All right. Talk. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Graham, Senator Klobuchar, and Senator Lee, along with all the other members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, for allowing me to appear before you today. 
I'm here to speak on behalf of my colleagues, fellow promoters, and most importantly, the concert fans. My appearance before you is based on my 50 years of experience in the live entertainment industry. For the record, my name is Jerry Michelson, CEO and President of Jam Productions, a company that has produced and promoted events since 1972. As a primer for those who may not know, let me briefly talk about the job of promoters. We work with agents and managers to route tours into markets across the country. We make guaranteed payment to artists, contract with the venue to hold the event, market the show, put tickets on sale, and produce the show. We pay all the costs and assume all the risks. When Live Nation loses money on a concert, they can make up for that with operating uh, income from ticketing and sponsorships. We can't do that. We don't have those. Pepsi doesn't earn money from Coke, but our competitor, Live Nation, earns money from selling tickets to our concerts. In 2009, I appeared in front of the committee to testify the about the proposed merger of Live Nation and Ticketmaster. At that hearing, I stated the unification of these two Goliaths would create a business with extraordinary market power and clout unlike any that I've ever seen in my lifetime. I testified that if this merger was allowed to produce a proceed, the combined entity would have the ability to suppress or eliminate competition in many segments of the industry. Today, we know with certainty that this merger is vertical integration on steroids, using dominance in one market to expand its power and dominance in another, cutting out the competition and harming the consumers. From my point, vantage point, the arena-level concerts used to be Jam's most profitable segment of the business because that's where we earned our money. In 1996, Jam produced 100 concerts in arenas, but in 2011, one year after the merger, that decreased to 46 concerts. And in 2022, we only produced 14 arena concerts. Live Nation went after the arena business, and they succeeded in driving us and other ind independent promoters out of that sector. Live Nation effectively eliminated competition for indoor arena shows by us utilizing the following methods. Purchasing national indoor tours and arenas and for their outdoor amphitheaters. Threatening financial penalties on a tour deal if the artist wanted to work for Jam. Paying a band 100% or more of the gross ticket sales. And Live Nation managed artists typically only perform for Live Nation promoted shows at the arena level. Now Live Nation is going after music theaters and clubs of all sizes in an effort to control the entire live music industry from the top to the bottom. From 2010 to 2021, Live Nation added 61 theaters and 41 clubs to their already large arsenal of venues. The near complete domination of arenas because of the merger could soon happen in theaters and clubs in every community in the country. On a 2016 Live Nation earnings call, Michael Rapino, their president and CEO, said one of the company's biggest goals was to convince artists to agree to integrate the primary and secondary ticket markets to grow Live Nation's share. Rapino stated, and I quote, artists, the more they get comfortable with seeing primary and secondary together, our market share grows. With that statement, Rapino acknowledged that they are not serving artists, they are serving themselves. There are two antitrust decisions I'd like to bring to your attention where vertical integration played a prominent role in restricting competition. The 1948 Supreme Court decision in the U.S. versus Paramount led to the abolishment of block booking and forced the movie studios to sell off their theater chains. An excerpt from the Eastman Kodak case states, the court has held many times that power gained through some advantage can give rise to liability if... A seller exploits his dominant position in the market to expand his empire into the next. Every time that Live Nation or Ticketmaster blames anybody else for the significant issues uh, and, and increasingly high fees, remember that many times they are the venue, the promoter, and the manager um, of that artist. By controlling ticketing and promotion, the artist management company, they're choking off competition that would offer an alternative to the broken system we see today. This was most acutely seen in Taylor Swift, and it's playing out across the live music industry every day and generating fan outrage and despair. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to answering your questions. All right, well, that guy's a, a G. Yeah. <laughs> He's a G. He's got his ducks in a row. Mm -hmm. <coughs> um, He's got the experience, too. 
Yeah. I thought it was, it was good how he outlined the the role of a promoter. And I thought it was also interesting mm-hmm. how he brought up the fact that promoters take on all of the risk. And then Live Nation is able to mitigate that risk because they are also making money off of their competitors' products through their secondary resale and as the venues through these service fees. I mean, it's just, it's structurally that, unsound. Yeah. There, yeah. There's like a, there's a, a no mystery reach across the whole industry. And I, I, something sparked in my mind, which this guy, right? This guy has good morals, uh, right? He's the president of Jam uh, Production or Jam Production. Jam Productions. All right. So when, from what I've seen, you know, in, in, you know, my years of, uh, being an adult which isn't that much which is kind of bringing me back to it's no mystery thing is that when some something like when an entity dominates like that it it just seems like then they control like the standard of the salaries that people make in those job those type of jobs so like not only is it affecting um like jam's ability to get concerts um at the big arena level and uh get uh, artists to sign on with them or to use them as their uh, ticket servicing or producing service. Um, but also the people that work for these places, I feel like they're going to be affected greatly if we continue to let Live Nation dominate the industry. And specifically, um, if somebody is really passionate about producing or or like being a part of that whole entire uh, let's put on a show and then the only options that they have to put on a show are having a job through Live Nation then Live Nation sets that uh, salary price and there's no competition affecting the price that they want to set that at exactly they're not only affecting the market for ticket sales but by consolidating the purchasing power in the labor market for this they're effectively controlling the price that they can purchase labor at. Because any yes. product, if there's only one buyer, they get to dictate the price. I mean, fuck you. Like, if you can't sell it to anybody else if you don't agree to their price, that's they got them by the cojones there. Yeah, say, like, you have no attachment to a certain company other than your love for producing concerts, right? And... Uh, in a world where there was competition in this industry, you saw Jam Productions, and they were like, "Yo, we can offer these benefits," you know. Then, boom, they they might, you know, get to bring this person over to their team, you know, and create even more competition because now they they you know got a better better person in this role, you know. And that's where it's like you kind of think about sports teams. It's like people trade all the time, you know, to try to get better players on their team and. So it's an even league, you know, like if we watched uh, the NFL every year and the same team won, like when New England had their run, uh, the viewership goes down because they're like, this team's fucking dominating, you know, we, we stand no chance. We're from Detroit, right? Look at our team, you know, it's crazy, you know, I don't know. Yeah, just, no, just, it, it is, it's super crazy. And you think about how people like how these companies incentivize talent to, to come over to them. And that does definitely, it drives innovation. I mean, it's, it's the people. It's always been the people and it always will be the people. I mean, we see these big company names, but these companies are made 
of, of, of different people. And if people don't really feel that they can freely choose where they want to work and actually get a competitive salary, then they're all going to be driven towards the monopoly. And people complain about the government wanting to break up monopolies saying, oh yeah, it's uh, you're, you're impacting the free market. Well, I say from the other side, Live Nation in this, in this scenario has grown so big that they themselves are impacting the free market. And so in order to allow for any sort of a free market, there needs to be regulation. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Do we want to move on to this next dude? Or you guys got anything else to say about uh, I'm, JMOG I'm Productions? I, yeah, I mean, he brought up the, <laughs> the Pepsi and Coke thing. You know, that's a big deal. Right? If Pepsi and Coke were to combine, I would go to bet that eventually every single drink in the gas station behind those glass doors in the coolers would be made by their entity. Yeah. Because of the sheer dominance, right? Which would literally hinder the ability for dank new drinks to come out that are fucking amazing. Well, not only that, but then we come back to where if there's only one buyer of a product, then they get to dictate the price. So all of a sudden, people that are manufacturing syrups and stuff for, for use in pops, although I mean Pepsi and Coke, obviously, they do all that in-house, but just, just as an example, then Pepsi's like, well, we're the only buyer, I guess, I guess we, don't, we don't want it. Then the product is worthless, which allows the one monopoly to dictate the price of all of their inputs. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. a huge issue. And again, part of a, a bigger issue, you know, that I really hope that our our Senate digs in digs into throughout this year. Um, and I hope that they stay like level headed um, with with the issues that they're gonna face this year. You know, yeah. and if they dive into these things I, I hope they look at things, you know, not all the time as bipartisan, but the majority of the time, like we're we're in this together. And a direct example of competition would be like our two parties, right? Having two parties and them talking about things and creating a center point, right? I think that might, you know, not all the time, but more often than not, come up with a better solution than. Uh, having one party say everything is this and then they, they always win or one party or just doing one party you know mm-hmm. i don't think people need to always agree on one thing i think people need to get back to i don't i forget what episode it is but the episode we did on you know having a productive uh discussion yeah like, like holy fuck to be swayed. yep right, anything that's... max no let's get it i thought this guy was really interesting i just want to preface this so this is one person that's not really in the industry. He's just studied monopolies and he's very educated about that. So I thought, oh, I thought it was good that they brought in this guy. My name is Sal Nuzo and I serve on the policy team at the James Madison Institute in Tallahassee, Florida. We are a nonprofit economic policy think tank that focuses on the policy issues impacting Florida's 22 million residents. Fresh out of college and starting a career in policy, I dreamt of one day testifying before the United States Senate and an issue of profound importance, uh, maybe international monetary policy or perhaps a Supreme Court nomination. But as my 14 and 13-year-old daughters informed me last night, Dad, nothing you speak on in your career will be as important as what you say today. Don't mess this up. 
So here we go. Florida is home to 13 major sports teams, 15 major league baseball spring training facilities, NASCAR F1, the PGA, LPGA, college, and numerous other sports venues. I say that because most of those venues serve as concert sites when they're not in use during their respective uh, seasons. In Florida, sports and live entertainment is a $6.5 billion market, a sizable share of the nation's $133 billion economic impact in this area. So this issue is important to Floridians, not just with respect to primary ticketing, but also the secondary ticket market, which I would like to open with. I'd like to offer our perspective by way of a brief analogy. Because I'm an employee of a nonprofit organization, I drive a 15-year-old Volvo with 200,000 miles on it. God bless the Swedes. Uh, I purchased it from a private seller in 2015, and much to my kids' dismay, it's still going strong. Volvo didn't place a single restriction on the automobile when I purchased it, and uh, with and when I decide to sell it, they'll likely have no role in the transaction. In fact, I don't think they have a clue what's happened to the car since it left their dealership. This is true for just about every auto manufacturer. Consequently, our auto market is a robust, thriving, and diverse industry largely adhering to the forces of supply and demand. The same could be the case for the market governing the selling, marketing, and resale of tickets to sports, competitions, and concerts. It could be, but it has not occurred. There is, as we've spoken about, one dominant market player approaching 80% of the primary market. This does allow them the ability to leverage that dominance through service fees, exclusivity requirements, and other practices that are ultimately borne by consumers. At its core, a debate is occurring over what a person actually obtains when they purchase a ticket. Some would argue that the purchaser is simply leasing or renting a space in a venue, and that the lease is subject to terms and conditions. In our opinion, that logic rests on a misguided assumption that the commodity is the venue. Ask anyone attending a Jaguars game, or a Harry Styles concert for that matter, where they're going, and they'll reply, I'm going to the Jags game, or I'm going to take my daughters to see Harry Styles. They would not reply with, oh, I'm going to TIAA Bank Field this afternoon, or just taking my kids to Amway Arena tonight. The stadium may have a lifespan of 50 years, but an individual purchases a commodity with a much more limited lifespan, a couple of hours. This distinction, in our opinion, is vital to the debate over the issues within the event ticketing space. Over the last several years, we've heard the term consumer welfare standard uttered much more frequently. Questions over whether the standard is still applicable in today's innovation economy, uh, whether it should be replaced with some other form of subjective measure, and in the age of tech platforms, what consumer welfare even means. I would ask you all today, as we conduct this hearing, to set that principle aside. In this area, we would contend that consumer welfare is very clearly defined and reflective of the issues and challenges within this industry. Those representing the dominant player in the market would contend that their growth has allowed them to innovate and make advances that greatly benefit consumers. A few million Taylor Swift fans would respond, this is why we can't have nice things. To be clear, from our perspective, the issue isn't the Taylor Swift crash per se. That merely revealed how a lack of competition over time has corroded innovation and distorted the market. I would ask, suppose a robust, vibrant, and competitive market for ticketing had been allowed to evolve and innovate over the last 20 years. Would the Taylor Swift crash have occurred? It's a hypothetical, of course, but absolutely one worth considering. I will conclude my remarks with a call to you as policymakers. On this topic, in this arena, Consumer welfare is, is very clear to define, and there are actual harms to consumers from anti-competitive practices. Thank you to all, and I appreciate the opportunity to be before you today. Thank you, Chairman. <clears throat> Interesting. Okay. So one, one point that he made was the fact that uh, he thinks that it's a mistake uh, as uh, in the industry that the commodity is the seat in the arena, right? He thinks that the commodity is the time that you get to spend viewing the artist. Right. That that's uh, first thing. And then like uh, the whole <clears throat> the whole lease on the seat, you know, I don't know. They, they didn't say that in this one. I don't think No, I think they, you're thinking about the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did he? yeah. Oh, I must have missed it. 
I've never leased a car, okay? But can you sell your leased car? Or can you tra- can you sell your lease to somebody else? Is that a uh, thing? Yeah, I've heard of that. Okay, yes. Because I felt like that almost infringed on like ownership of the ticket, you know? Well, subletting is a thing too. So you, if you rent an apartment or a house and you need to move out of the state, you can rent that to somebody else. Now, within some apartments or some houses, depending on your landlord, there might be a clause prohibiting that. Mm-hmm. But that's something that's... There's a good deal of regulation around that. Fairly common thing, subletting, a lease on a lease. Okay, because like uh, I felt like when they say like this is a lease on the seat, basically the real estate of the seat in the arena at that time, you know, it's like yeah, like what he brings up is it's like that's not that's not what the industry's selling. The industry is selling the time with the artist. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they're selling. That That is the product. The product is not, you know, let's say Little Caesars Arena, right? The product is Harry Styles. That's the product, right? Which, you know, that goes into the whole, uh, the whole um, kind of mess of things where it's like, if, if it's not the seat that they're selling and it's the artist that they're selling, right? And then... Uh, we're talking about the, you know, potential uh, monopoly of li- of this industry from Live Nation. Then it's just another thing that they have major reach on, right? Because like uh, he said, the commodity is the artist, right? Well, when the artist doesn't always get to pick the price of the ticket, or they have no control of how far they go in the primaries and in the secondaries, right? That that's like the product not being able to sell the um, that's like the commodity not being able to sell the product for what they want it to be, which is, in my opinion, wrong because they they're the whole show. They're the reason why people show up and everything like that. And I just think it's another arm, strong arm that Live Nation has on this industry. I think that's a big point, you know. And the mm-hmm. the selling of the. Um, the lease. The reason why I asked about that is because one, I I wanted to know if you could sell your leased car or whatever to somebody else. Because in my belief, once you purchase that ticket, I feel like you know that ownership is in your hands. You know, it's now yours. And and that there's clips to come that we'll get into that for sure. And I mean, this that kind of thing is happening across all sorts of industries. You don't own anything anymore. You're just leasing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't even, like, when when you go and buy a house, you know, you still got to pay the property taxes. I mean, you're essentially, like, yeah, you kind of own it, but you're still paying f- someone for it, even though you already bought it. Or software subscriptions. If you buy a video game on online, you don't get the actual disc. If So say you mm-hmm. bought a video game from the Xbox store. Mm-hmm. If Microsoft went bankrupt and just dissolved, which obviously probably is not going to happen, they would not be obliged to keep their servers online to deliver you that game anymore. You were simply leasing the rights to download that game off of their server, which in the cybersphere, that has huge implications. And I don't know. That's just something we're going to see continuously evolve. And Everyone's going to that. I mean, now for 
Adobe Photoshop, you gotta pay a monthly fee. You can't just buy it anymore. Mm-hmm. They make more money off that, but it does. It, it harms the consumer. Yeah. At the end of the day. That's a big deal, especially where we're going with technology. You know, that's something that's gonna come up for sure. And you, then, like, video games are huge, man. You know, if their servers shut down, and then you you don't own, you know, what you already spent your money on. I mean, there's there's gonna be outrage. Well, and think about within like the automotive industry and stuff. Like, there's all the software on these cars, and uh, these companies are actually fighting to make it so that. You can't just repair this stuff. Like, there's right to repair laws under attack. You know, John Deere specifically has made it incredibly difficult for farmers to work on their own tractors that they've purchased. Mm-hmm. They won't even really? let you fix your stuff. Yes. And they are spending so much money in courts to try to make it so that you don't have the right to repair, which just hurts consumers at the end of the day. Yeah. Wow. Which just loops back around. We need to focus on consumer protection in our country. Yeah, that I think that's the overarching issue here, you know? Um and it's I can't I can't get, I can't believe the gaming thing, you know? I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, holy shit, you know? Yeah. And maybe even if you purchased like uh Call of Duty back in the day and uh you got the disc copy, right? You could at least be able to play the campaign, right? Mm-hmm. If they shut their servers off, it's like yeah, you're done. No campaign, no nothing. Like, well, that's third-party risk. I mean, that's <laughs> that's everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. if you have a million dollars in Vanguard and Vanguard went under, I mean, yeah, you have a two hundred fifty thousand dollar FDIC insured insurance, but what about that other seven hundred fifty k? Vanguard had it. They went bankrupt. You're shit out of luck. We saw that happen with FTX. Your money was in FTX. Well, they went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. So you don't have your money anymore. So mm-hmm. you can own a game on this platform, but oh, they went bankrupt. Their software is no longer active. I mean, that third party risk is pretty much everywhere, especially when it's digital. Yeah, but when it's a company adding on its own risk, like Adobe, where they could just deliver you the software and just have it work. But no. They, they want you to verify with their servers every single time that you pay that monthly fee. Yeah, which is, is kind of just getting into, there can't be monopolies, you know. There needs to be competition and innovation, and that innovation is going to help users and the people have, you know, the best products, uh, the best service, all this stuff, right? And then the, the other aspect is uh, as at least Americans, right? Ownership, ownership of um, the things that we buy with the money that we work so fucking hard to get. And uh, yeah, I feel like those are two main things that this on a surface level might be about concert tickets, right? And the entertainment industry, right? But on a, a huge level, it's getting into hopefully policies that help um, allow us to be more free, you know, have our, our own stuff, assets, you know, things like that. So yeah, owning things, mm-hmm. private ownership. It's a cornerstone of this country. Now, before we go to the next clip, I just want us to all just take a moment, see this wonderful face that Miss Klobuchar is giving <laughs> us right now. She doesn't look very happy with you right now, Max. I think she's giving you the evil eye. <laughs> yeah, she does look like she's who did, who did you say she looked like? Uh, um, she looks like, uh, 
Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. Have you seen Arrested Development? No. Oh, it's so funny. It's so good. It's so good. She, she's got quite the large ears, too. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Chairman Durbin, Ranking Member Graham, Senators Klobuchar and Lee, and members of the committee. It is an honor to be here today to lend the American Antitrust Institute's perspective to the issue of competition in live entertainment. AAI applauds Senate lawmakers for turning their attention to a serious competition issue that hurts concertgoers, artists, and smaller competitors across the live entertainment industry. There are a few major points and policy recommendations that I would like to highlight today. First, Live Nation Ticket Master is an example of, on one hand, a very traditional monopoly in the mode of Standard Oil, and on the other, a 21st century digital player, like other online platforms, dominating an ever-widening swath of its industry. Its dominance in markets up and down the live entertainment supply chain creates the incentive and the ability to limit competition to protect its market position. On the concert side, this includes excluding smaller or independent concert promoters and venues. In digital ticketing, this includes excluding ticket resellers and brokers who provide important competition via the secondary ticketing market. Customers pay the price for these monopolistic acts with higher ticket prices and fees, lower quality, less choice, and less innovation. Artists who lack the black blockbuster power of a Swift or a Springsteen lose out. Smaller rivals in the supply chain also lose out. Second, we should learn from the failure of the conduct remedies that were a condition of the DOJ's clearance of the 2010 merger of Live Nation and Ticketmaster. A lengthy DOJ investigation concluded in 2020 that Live Nation T Ticketmaster repeatedly violated the requirements of the consent decree. Unfortunately, rather than seeking an effective structural remedy, DOJ simply amended some of the language in the consent decree and extended the decree for another five and a half years. The amended decree did nothing to change Live Nation Ticketmaster's anti-competitive incentives. This current DOJ has recognized the ineffectiveness of behavioral remedies that run counter to a company's incentives. DOJ should pursue new enforcement action to obtain effective structural relief. This could be through a consummated merger challenge under Section 7 of the Clayton Act or a monopolization case under Section 2 of the Sherman Act. Separating ticketing from promotion and venues would eliminate the incentives to stifle competition. And reducing the market share of Ticketmaster through spinoffs would address Ticketmaster's incentives to limit competition in secondary ticketing. Protecting consumers, artists, and smaller rivals from Live Nation Ticketmaster's harmful conduct will, requ will require multiple policy tools, including strong antitrust enforcement against Live Nation Ticketmaster and legislative action. AI urges enforcers and lawmakers to consider three major features of a multi-pronged approach to the Live Nation Ticketmaster monopoly problem. First, Consider standards that enable the agencies to challenge vertical mergers as effectively as horizontal mergers. The incidency standard in Section 7 of the Clayton Act is designed to prevent all mergers that may enhance market power and lead to anti-competitive effects. We currently have a structural presumption for horizontal mergers. We badly need a presumption for vertical mergers, either through legislative action or new antitrust guidelines that get adopted by the courts. Second, support more vigorous antitrust enforcement with legislation designed to strengthen and clarify the U.S. antitrust laws. Senator Klobuchar's proposed Competition and Antitrust Law Enforcement Reform Act is a leading example. The bill would, among other things, update legal standards for mergers and strengthen the standard for prohibiting exclusionary conduct by dominant firms. Such reforms would reduce the formidable burdens on the government for bringing monopolization and merger cases. Finally, consider the merits of an oversight regime to facilitate access to and transparency in ticketing. Dominant digital platforms can engage in practices designed to self-preference, such as steering music fans to Ticketmaster's proprietary ticketing services, Solutions to these problems may, may well require establishing rules of the road or codes of conduct for digital ticketing platforms. Such legislation has been proposed at both the state and federal level. Thank you for the opportunity to testify today, and I look forward to your questions. So right off the bat, 
I agree with her on quite a few points. The one thing that I disagree with her on is uh, the need for an oversight committee specifically for this. I mean, our government's <laughs> budget's already pretty bloated. I, I think uh, I don't think we need to hire on a whole other team of people specifically for this, especially as we have a subcommittee in our Senate working on it. They want to hire more people, which is it's just a little bit ridiculous. But I think she, she brings up the fact there needs to be structural change to fix this. There's a reason that the Ticketmaster representative was pushing for increased regulation of the bots and all that. That's because they don't want structural change. They want regulations that they can just break like they did with consent decree. Yeah. And, yeah, then, and they revisited it in 2020 and you know nothing has changed. She said that they, changed, they amended some of the language mm -hmm. and extended it just a little bit but it didn't do anything. Yeah, and are these people going to pay um, you know what what they what they reaped? Are they going to pay the same price of what they reaped, you know? Well, they never no. do. No. They, never, they do. never do. You know, so the structural change is is fucking huge. Yeah, right. That's what we need. It's not going to do anything. You can't you can't just say don't you do that again. I know we told you not to, and you did, and you went as far as to strong-arm your competitors into obeying your fucking commands. But no, we're just going to ask you real nicely again. Oh, we might give you a little a little slap on the wrist if, uh, if you do it, but we're not going to split you up. We're just going to let you keep doing what you've been doing, and you can feed us the same line of fucking shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, if we just give these execs, like, 10 to, 15, 10 to 15 years in prison, then people will learn the fucking lesson, dude. That's that's literally it. The fines, it's not like, it doesn't even come out of their fucking bank accounts, dude. Like, like especially with the shit that happened with Purdue Pharma, you know, they were peddling Oxycontin and mm -hmm. labeling it as... Ma making it seem like it wasn't that addictive. You know, like, nothing even... I forget what happened to the Sackler family, but I know they didn't see prison time. Like the company got fined and stuff, but like you need to, you need to like p penalize the people that pushed this, not just the company. Mm -hmm. And if it means 10 to 15 years in prison or, or some, whatever the punishment is, I mean, it, it can't be this slap on the wrist bullshit. No, it that's can't. it. The people, the people of this country have paid for quant or have paid consequences you know with uh, on the most valuable thing that you can have in life which is your time you know they've paid years of it for uh doing things that are way less fucking you know corrupt or evil or bad than than yeah. some of the shit that goes on and one point that i i want to bring up is the fact that like like you were saying about like we don't need another committee um, no, we, we, we don't need another committee. You know, we already pay for you guys to be the committee, the committee. And another thing that you brought up a few days ago where I was like, uh, can we, can we use this footage? You know? And, uh, Jay was like, dude, we pay for this footage. This is our footage. We paid for this hearing to go on. We pay for all these people's salaries, you know, except obviously the guests and everything. But we pay these people to debate, you know, in front of us. And, and try to make uh, the best thing from it that supports the people of the, of the United States. Facts. And uh, I, I just want people to know that. We pay for this footage. We pay for these things to happen. And just like uh, 
uh, Taylor Swift fans did. We can do this with a lot of issues. You know, if you have a voice and you, uh, you can start anywhere at a local level, at writing to your senator, there'll be a senator that brings up the fact that he 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 read a. Um, he read, I think, some 16 or 17-year-old's uh, essay or report, yeah, you know? That <laughs> yeah, he, he shouted her out. Yeah, and, and that, that shit's cool. And we all have that ability as Americans. And, uh, I, you know, I just want to disclose that. You know, we pay for this, uh, and we deserve to have the, the best and the brightest represent these issues because they matter so fucking much, especially in terms of... Uh, us as a country getting back to working together and making things, you know? Yeah. And I, I want to just, just to tag on a little bit to, to your point. Uh, we will have the full citations for this hearing in the description on YouTube, Apple Music, and uh, on Spotify so that you can access this full three-hour hearing because uh, all of the C-SPAN footage is available to be viewed online. You actually, as just a, as a resident, you have a certain amount of free downloads as well per month that you, you can utilize from this wonderful national resource. Yeah. So, yeah, keep your Congress accountable. Keep your fucking eye on them. And if you don't have uh, three hours to tune in to these hearings, we're going to be doing a few of these hearings, so uh, tune in to us. Yeah, and if there's any of these hearings that are upcoming, you can take a look at the C-SPAN schedule. You can see all of the hearings that are scheduled. If there's one you want to see us talk about, and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe they're talking about this. I want to see these jackasses on the New School Project <laughs> talk bullshit about a, r a random topic. We, we will do that for you. Yeah, and if you have any questions about the things we said, or uh, you want to uh, challenge some of the things we said with your opinions. Um, if you have questions that you want answered, we will do that too. Um, we're here to have a productive conversation and we're here to make a better world for all of us. So, Yeah, that means gaining more perspectives. So if you have a perspective you think is valuable, I know all three of us would be very excited to hear it because we are all about gaining more perspective, a different outlook. That's that's how you can grow your mindset because if you're just pigeonholed into one perspective, there's no way you're going to see the whole picture. So if there's something on any of our episodes that you see us kind of missing a certain point, please shed some light on it for us because we're, we're all about learning and it's yep. just knowledge is power. Yeah. Yeah. So just slide in our DMs or email at info at newschoolpodcast.com. Mm -hmm. And without further ado, Mr. Clyde Lawrence. Here we go. This was my favorite guy. Um, good morning, Senators, and thank you for inviting us today to the most unique gig we've had in years. My name is Clyde Lawrence, and this is Jordan Cohen. We are two of the eight members of Lawrence, a soul pop band from New York City. Before telling you more about who we are, it's important to clarify who we're not. We're not lawyers or economists with expertise in antitrust policy. And as Senator Klobuchar said, we're also not artists on the level of acts like Taylor Swift or Bruce Springsteen, though we do hope to one day be big enough to crash a ticketing website. What we are, however, are seasoned artists who have toured extensively over the last seven years, starting with empty bars and working our way up to headlining sold-out shows for thousands of people and seeing our music chart on Top 40 Radio. While we became musicians because of our passion for making music, we realized early on that we needed to embrace the entrepreneurial aspects of pursuing careers as artists. Ever since we started touring, we've tried to be vocal about the lopsided deal mechanics we were facing, even including the lyric, Live Nation is a Monopoly, in our latest album. Whether or not it meets the legal definition of a monopoly is someone else's call to make. We're here just to tell you what we've observed. 
While Jordan and I discuss those dynamics in depth in our written testimony, most of the issues we face stem from the fact that Live Nation Ticketmaster often acts as three things at the same time, the promoter, the venue, and the ticketing company. Let's imagine we just played a sold-out show at a venue Live Nation owns and operates. When an artist plays these venues, they're required to use Live Nation as the promoter. Far from simply advertising, the promoter coordinates and pays the upfront cost to put together a concert, such as renting and staffing a venue and striking a deal with the performer. Since both our pay and theirs is a share of the show's profits, we should be true partners aligned in our incentives. Keep costs low while ensuring the best fan experience. But with Live Nation not only acting as the promoter, but also as the owner and or operator of the venue, it seriously complicates these incentives. At the end of the show, costs will have eaten into most of the money made that evening, and due to Live Nation's control across the industry, we have practically no leverage in negotiating them. If they want to take 10% of the revenues and call it a facility fee, they can and have. If they want to charge $30,000 for the house nut, they can and have. And if they want to charge us $250 for a stack of 10 clean towels, they can and have. Once these costs, some of which went to Live Nation subsidiaries, are taken into account, the remainder is split between Live Nation and the band. In a world where the promoter and the venue are not affiliated with each other, we can trust that the promoter will look to get the best deal from the venue. However, in this case, the promoter and the venue are part of the same corporate entity, so these line items are essentially Live Nation negotiating to pay itself. Does that seem fair? The tickets were listed at $30, and our pay ended up shaking out to about $12 of each ticket. But in this hypothetical show, the fan did not pay $30 for that ticket. The fan paid $42 because Ticketmaster tacked on a 40% fee. And for the record, we've had them go as high as 82%. As with promotion, if an artist plays at a Live Nation venue, the artist has no choice but to have the show ticketed by Ticketmaster. And to be clear, we have absolutely zero say or visibility in how much these fees will be. We find out the same way as everyone else by logging on to Ticketmaster once the show already goes on sale. And in case you're wondering, no, we, the artists, do not get a cent of that fee. So, of the $42 a fan spent on a ticket, we received 12. But whereas Live Nation's costs were already covered at this point in the calculation, we still need to pay for our touring costs. In our case, roughly 50% of our earnings is used to cover expenses. So that leaves us with $6 for an eight-piece band, pre-tax, and we also have to pay our own health insurance. To be fair, many of the issues we've addressed here are not exclusive to Live Nation Ticketmaster, and we've had a number of positive experiences with parts of Live Nation. Their venues are often filled with hardworking and passionate people, and most importantly, we love that all of their venues have one consistent Wi-Fi network and password. That one's a real game changer. Jokes aside, we truly do not see Live Nation as the enemy. They're just the largest player in a game that feels stacked against us as artists, and often our fans as well. Ultimately, when looking at the current state of the industry, we're left with lots of questions. Why is it that all of Live Nation's costs get recouped before the show hits its profit point, yet ours, the artists, don't? Why is there so little transparency as to what line items such as facility fees actually go towards? Why is it standard for Live Nation to take a 20% commission on our merchandise sales while we never receive a cent of their ancillary revenues like concessions, alcohol, and parking? Finally, why is Live Nation allowed to freely set exorbitantly high ticket fees without any transparency or input, while in other industries the government has mandated caps on various types of junk fees? We look forward to seeing these questions get some answers. Thank you for your time, and we hope to see some of you at one of our band's concerts. If you'd like to come, let me know, and I'll throw you on the guest list to help you avoid the ticket fees. I think what he said about the promoter and the venue uh, in a free market, uh, you know, negotiating how mm -hmm. the pricing would work. Uh, I think that put in some good perspective because Live Nation being in control of both, they're just negotiating with themselves. Mm -hmm. It'd be like, you know, us having owning two different companies and, you know, providing two different services. And we're like, 
actually negotiating with it when at the end of the day we know exactly what we're going to fucking charge we know what we want we know what we're going to end up with so that that was a good perspective to put in there i liked what this guy had to say yeah i thought it was also interesting he brought up the fact that live nation takes a 20 percent cut of the band's merchandising sales which the band's putting the money up for that merch they are taking the risk and live nation they're, they're supplying, I suppose, and you could see it as they're supplying a venue for them to sell that merchandise in. But they are drawing it, the band is drawing in people, and they're essentially acting as the salesman for all their alcohol and all their food. Because people wouldn't want alcohol and food that's marked up if the band wasn't there. Yeah. And they don't get the yeah. commission. Yeah, it reminds me of the government. You know, we we go out and we start a business. We take all the risk. We risk our asses, our finances, everything. And then they get a percentage of our profits, even though they took none of the risk. Live Nation takes none of the risk, but they get a cut of their merchandise, their shirts. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's know, tough for me to accurately say, like, what's fair and what's not. Because they, they do have the store for them to... This is where they can sell their merchandise, but I don't know. It is worth thinking about, though. It's almost it's almost like just like even if say the artist doesn't get a cut of the commissions, right? Um, uh, like, all right, don't don't take their their uh, the, uh, don't gouge them on their merch. You know, come on, man, mm -hmm. come the fuck on. Uh, not to mention, he said something about finding out the prices of the tickets the same as the fans, right? And uh, uh, I don't know if it was clipped in this show, but if you go to the C-SPAN uh, full-length uh, trial, you'll see that the president of Live Nation said that their business model is focused on the artists because they think that the artists are like the linchpin of the industry, which they are. But they're not focused on the artist. If they were focused on the artist, there would be a negotiation, mm -hmm. right? And plus, some artists aren't as good as other artists, right? But if Live Nation always controls the conversation on the ticket price, then that that has no factor. Even though you're the fucking best, right? It doesn't even matter. You know, you're still not going to get to negotiate uh, this price for your ticket or how much you're getting from the door. Meaning, the door in the jam industry is the the people that come in the door. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, <clears throat> through that, I just think it's crazy because they're directly lying. Like you, you don't give a shit about the artist if you did give a shit about the artist you, there would be a negotiation there you wouldn't try to get them on their merch and also um i want everybody to think about the bandwidth the bandwidth of an artist okay so like they have the they have to remember the songs they got to know how to play they got to do all their setup on their shit right they're producing a light show great audio all this stuff right uh to to have that much going on, right? They need uh, ass or uh, they need assets in the industry that they can lean on. Where they're like, "Hey, we got a, a great relationship going. You guys handle the the tickets, you know." But there's a conversation there, you know. But how the fuck is the artist supposed to do everything, right? And uh, and produce the show? They can't, right? So they have to lean on these. Uh, components of the entertainment industry right whereas the components of the entertainment industry are are literally gatekeeping the the ability for these people that are bringing all the fans in to to have any say in how they do it right 
Whereas like normally if your partner with somebody or a partner with an entity that helps uh, be a component in the industry that you're in, you would be able to be like, no, you know, I'm not going to do that. That's not the best for me. You know, I bring all these fans in. I'm going to go with a different person, different company. Right. But can they go with a different company? No, they fucking can't. No, all of a sudden you know, they can't. out of all of the major sports arenas. <laughs> I mean, and um, the owner of Jam Productions, I think, outlined this, this the best. You, if, if you don't play ball with them, you, one, they control the venues. So mm-hmm. they can control, you won't get booked at these major venues. So say, say you're growing, you're like, oh, I, I want to play at this arena, but I, wanna, I, I don't want to use Ticketmaster. I want to use like SeatGeek or someone as my primary ticket, ticketing provider. Mm-hmm. That's limiting you from going and working with the venue to come to a productive relationship because Live Nation strong arms these people into using their own ticketing services. And I thought, Max, what you brought up was interesting with uh, the government just taking a cut um, and not necessarily doing anything. But the thing is, in the government's case, well, one, we own that, so a certain amount of that's coming back to us, and then it does do stuff, we all reap the benefits, whereas Live Nation, is just taking that money, and then they're charging even the artists for everything on the way. I mean, fuck, $250 for some towels? Yeah, but... Gold towels, essentially what Essentially what Max is saying is that all that money that, that they, they have at their disposal because we pay into it, you know, they don't always... Uh, make the best decisions with it, nor do we always know where it goes. Yeah, or else I wouldn't really complain. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, I think everybody wants our country to look beautiful and our streets to be clean, you know, not have homeless people, have things and social programs that take care of people that fucking need it, you know, in, you know, the peaks and valleys of life. But it, it just seems like there's there's no transparency within honesty, between yeah, there definitely isn't. relations. That's, that's not what I'm saying at, at all. I, I think, yeah, our government needs more transparency. A lot of these things that are being said about Ticketmaster can be said about our, our government as a whole, but we do at least get something back. Mm-hmm. Yes, them. yes, we do. Let's We're, talk. Let's, in the relationship with Live Nation, they're not really getting too much back. Though, because Live Nation. <clears throat> not interested in innovating and, and pushing the industry further, which would be in the artist's own best interests. They're just motivated on lining their own pockets. And I would go to I would go as far to say that the capital that the artists should and deserve, they or that should they should have and they deserve it, that capital would push would uh, push the, the industry better. I think that more with more capital comes greater shows better light shows, better experiences, you know, better equipment. And all that stuff fuels the innovation of music, of movies, of all this stuff. So not only are they uh, hindering the ability to innovate in the actual ticketing, but also, honestly, how good the entertainment is that we fucking see. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, as an avid uh, music listener and concert goer fuck you come on man you know i want i want this guy to come down from a fucking helicopter you know in the in the arena or whatever it is you know i want the craziest light show you know i want the sound to sound amazing 
I want the band to have the equipment they need and to produce the best thing that they can produce and afford to do it, you know, and create a life of their own as well. And have some of that risk that they took in life, you know, really pay off the way it should. I mean, if you can bring, if you can bring in that many people into a venue, I mean, shit, come on. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's your pie and people are eating from it. Yep. All right, now we've gone through all of the opening statements mm-hmm. and uh, we, we have a couple clips from just where they're just having an open discussion in here. But if you guys want to take a little bit more of a look at the full open dialogue between all these witnesses, definitely check out uh, about like the last hour of, of the hearing. It's, it's pretty, pretty dense with that. But we do have a couple more clips from that that will shed some more light on this issue. So let's keep all it right. rolling. Let's get it. Thank you very much, Mr. Lawrence. I think we're willing to pay, but we really appreciate your testimony. Bonus. Okay. Uh, with that, I'm going to uh, turn it over for the first round of questions to our chair, uh, Senator Durbin. Thanks, Senator Klobuchar. Mr. Lawrence, I'm going to stick with you for a minute because you made it clear that you do not set the ticket price. And Mr. Berktold said he doesn't have anything to do with the ticket price. Who does set the ticket price? That's an excellent question. That was actually the thing I was most surprised to hear in um, Mr. Berktold's speech, because um, we definitely have absolutely no say. And if we actually ask the venues in advance, which we often do, they say that's a ticket master thing. So uh, the fees, I mean, we actually do set, sorry, the ticket prices, the base price, the artist does have a say in setting for sure. But those added ticket master service fees, we have absolutely no say. And the venues claim that it's a ticket master. Mr. Berktold, you want to add anything to that? Thank you. Yes. Um, as Mr. Lawrence said, the band sets the ticket price. The service fee level is set by the venue. Um, and you, I, you control the venue. In, uh, Do you not? <laughs> you control the venue. Yeah. <laughs> look at the look on his face. Yeah. <laughs> Someone who just got fucking caught. And I, I, yeah, and w- with the, what this guy's going to go into, you know, I want everybody to keep in mind the, the, the di- difference in the sizes of the venues, you know, so where he might say we own this amount of venues and everything like that. All right, well, let's look at a, a pure, like, amount of people, yeah. you know, amount of people the venue holds. Uh, of approximately four, of approximately 4,000 venues in the United States per Polestar, Live Nation operates approximately 200, so uh, roughly 5% of the venues and, in the country. No, sir. They're generally uh, not far, not the biggest. The biggest tend to be the sports venues, the arenas, the stadiums controlled by the sports teams or the owners of the sports teams. Mr. Grotzinger, you had an experience at Barclays, did you not, uh, in terms of an opportunity for your company to take over a venue that had been controlled by Ticketmaster? How did that work? The New York Times reported uh, a few weeks ago how once we took over ticketing for the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, the Barclays Center saw a market decrease in the number of concerts from Live Nation that were sent to that venue versus historical averages. So uh, earlier last year, the Barclays Center management came to us and said, we'd like to keep using you for ticketing our basketball, but we want to be able to use Ticketmaster to ticket concerts. And we looked into it and couldn't get the economics to work. So we said to them, listen, let's just, uh, you know, part ways amicably. And we did. So they used their power of uh, the marketplace to diminish the number of acts at that venue. uh, And the venue decided they had to go back to Ticketmaster. There was certainly, as Polestar public data shows, a market increase in the number of shows Live Nation played at that venue after the venue decided to move away from... Mr. Berkhold, is that true? I believe, Senator, that what the New York Times indicated was that another venue opened in the marketplace. So you now had two venues vying for the shows that weren't going to Madison Square Garden, and that the number of shows going to Barclays from all the major promoters went down as a result of that increased competition. I have not heard of any allegations that we changed in any way our 
our booking of concerts for that venue. It's a matter that I watch very closely given the profile of the New York market. I understand every decision about every show, where it was placed and why. We have records determining that in no cases was there any retaliation against Barclays in the placement of shows. Mr. Grotzinger, your last word on Barclays? Yeah, I, I don't have more to add specifically on retaliation there. I would note that the DOJ report in 2019 found numerous instances of Live Nation threatening and retaliating against venues once they had moved away from, from Ticketmaster. In one case, the uh, Live Nation president told the venue that they would quote unquote go nuclear if they left. So the threat is real, it's been documented, it happens across many venues. Okay. They would go nuclear. <laughs> nuclear. If that's not a threat, I don't really know what is. <laughs> yeah. And going back to Mr. Bertold, that's Bertold. Uh, Bertold. That guy, you know, he's very he's trained in what he says, right? So like sometimes when things are like that, uh, with an open mind, you got to look at things that they don't say, right? And one thing that they don't talk about that was talked about earlier in the trial was the. Um, Ex extensive uh, long long term contracts with these venues that Live Nation has, where they as they might not own the venue, right? That they have those contracts where their shows are being placed there. They're placing the artists. They're uh, controlling the production, and they are selling the tickets, right? So all three of those is uh, uh, a like just a big reach on the industry but i just wanted to bring that up that's something that he doesn't want to say exactly and there was another thing <clears throat> similar to that that i picked up on and that was the fact that he claimed for every single show he is aware of why each venue was picked and that there's documentation for that now i put this under the same uh same kind of sphere as uh you know michigan is uh um, at will employment state, so they can someone can fire you for pretty much whatever reason. They don't really need to have a documented reason. But even in states where you need to have a documented reason, you can document whatever the fuck you want as the reason. It, there's no way of telling if that was the real reason or not. Of course, they can fucking make some documents that are like, oh yeah, we so we decided to put it at this venue because market analysis said that this would be the most effective way to reach our consumer. And they, they can easily hire somebody to write a five-page report on why they should have the this specific venue host the event. That's called covering your ass. That's all yeah. they're doing. There's no real accountability. They can just say whatever they want with impunity, basically. Yes. And so that was his strategy for claiming that there was some legitimacy to these venues not receiving Live Nation concerts when they uh, switched ticketing platforms, when really it's just a bunch of smoke and mirrors. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know. I, I don't know how that guy's not just shitting himself, you know. Maybe he's, not, maybe he's not shitting himself because maybe he's going to get a slap on the wrist with, with a little tiny fine that doesn't even fucking begin to solve the problem. He gets paid of, a lot to not shit himself in front of Congress. Yeah, he's yeah. getting paid right now. That's why. Yeah, he's getting sure. paid a lot, probably. Yeah. He's yeah. probably getting paid thousands a minute. I mean, I don't know. But, I mean, he's sitting there right next to all the people that are, you know, at a disadvantage because of their practices. I mean, I'd say that... At minimum, I, I would venture to guess that he's getting a bonus of at least like 
twenty to thirty thousand dollars minimum for doing this. I wouldn't even know what what to guess. Yeah, I mean, like, like that I, seems, I literally that have seems no idea. That's fairly low for this. That seems could be almost a quarter low. of a million. That could seems be low. A million. I think he's 20K. getting he's getting paid not just for his role, but he's definitely getting paid to do this. Yeah, he makes a shit ton of money, and people that make like say a hundred grand a year, you know, they might end their year with a a holiday bonus of like. 10 to 25 30 grand right this guy and his salary yeah i mean come on but you know i just think that he i I just i need i need the senate to to do what they're supposed to do and uh i thought it was i don't know if we're past the point where uh who's madam chair um what's her name the amy klobuchar yeah she uh she brings up, she's like, you know, you did a great job, uh, Mr. Burke told uh, the president of Live Nation, uh, you did a great job of bringing bringing the Senate together. So, and I thought that was fucking hilarious. I was like, shots fired, dude. You know, on on everybody, you know, just bitching about things and nobody solving shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then all, it's refreshing to see it. It it was really it was like a, you know, I don't drink cold water, but it was like a room temp big old glass of water amazing yeah. I, I definitely i agree and you know it was brought up this is like the first senate hearing of this new senate and i hope that this is just them starting things off on the right foot yes i hope they can just continue with this and that we can really have our government be a productive space for discussion maybe they should tune into the new school project yeah, yeah. but you know they this this scenario there's there's none of this like no one stands to gain or lose no matter where this goes. Besides so, nation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like the people in our in Congress, yeah. the people in the Senate, they they don't stand to gain or lose wherever this goes. You know, they there's no like backdoor deals that they could have. There's no companies bribing them. There's no insider trades to profit off of. Well, we don't know that. Well, I mean, what are they? Are they buying like? put options on Live Nation. I don't even know if they're publicly traded. They are Live Nation, LYV. Yeah, oh. yeah, well, so. Maybe, let's, let's see their trading activity. Yeah, yeah. Their yeah. trading activity is actually not terrible because they own the entire fucking market. <laughs> so they, they do relatively well for themselves. Um, I'm not currently invested in LYV because, well, I think there's maybe gonna be a little shake up going no, on. I'm not giving them my capital to yeah. fucking do what they wanna Fuck do that. with. They yeah. do, their stock price remains fairly steady and they do offer a dividend though. Just for What's the a dividend? Uh, I, it, it's not bad. It's, I mean. Let it, me just, let me just look. What's yeah, the ticker? LYB. LYB. I think Max was talking about how, um, like, I think he was talking about the senators investing. I don't think he was talking about Live Nation and what they do after this. But like, say if the senators know that they're going to, Break up Live Nation and Ticketmaster. Yeah, I know. You know they might. I, I understand. Oh, okay, yeah, they might pump a dump type deal. Yeah, for sure. All right, while well, Max is pulling up the dividend price, we're just gonna roll this last clip. I believe this is the last one of the day. They're up fifteen percent on the month. I'm sure they are, dude. I told you they control the entire market. Well, what's what's it at? Eighty bucks. All right, now that's okay. Year to year, that's about the same place they were at two years ago. Mm-hmm. I said it remains pretty steady. That's actually that's not a terrible one um, to day trade because it does just kind of hop between eighty and ninety. Mm-hmm. 
So. Oh, they don't pay a dividend right now. Alrighty. Well, let's roll this last clip. Let's do it, guys. Yeah, they. Mr. Michelson, uh, Mr. Berktold defended his market position in one element, saying it was a battle of the bots. Have you run into that phenomena? They, a ticketing company is one of the things they're supposed to do is have solutions to bots. Um, and for the leading ticket company not to be able to um, be able to handle bots is, for me, um, pretty an, un an unbelievable statement. Um, uh, but I, I, you can't blame bots for what happened to Taylor Swift. It, there's more to that story that you're not hearing. Yeah, and like I said, this was the last clip. There's more to that story than you're out here. You can't, you can't blame the fucking bots. Obviously, they wanted Live Nation wanted to keep it centered on the bots. Mm -hmm. But as the rest of the witnesses and some of our senators brought up, there's a bunch of factors that are impacting this issue. And it's like I brought up before. There's really two issues at play here: the consumers need protecting. That uh, that's dealing with the bots. Obviously, the bots bots are an issue across multiple industries, and we need to work on protection against bots, not just in this industry, but across all of our industries. And that should be, uh, I think that's just in the interest of our entire nation. And then specifically for this case, there's a structural issue with Live Nation as it stands now after the 2010 merger between them and Ticketmaster. It's, it's just, it's, it's a larger issue. It can't just be boiled down to bots. Yeah, and it's a, ever-changing problem that requires ever-changing solutions and that's the case with pretty much all these industries because you implement these solutions to the problems and naturally there are companies that will just try to find their ways find their way around you know those solutions and mm -hmm. get back to whatever greedy practices they're doing or whatever not all companies are like that but some of them are but it, it requires an ever-changing or like a constantly updated solution and you know it needs to be monitored so we need structural change we need it quickly and uh you know there was another i it wasn't included in the clips but they mentioned that the non-transferability of the tickets being a potential solution mm -hmm. and i i didn't think that was a good idea was it senator kennedy that brought it up is he, he a senator there's the man with the thick southern drawl. Yeah, that's Kennedy. Yeah, he seemed it, fairly uneducated about the issue at whole when he gave yeah, his whole I, spiel at the beginning. He was sitting on his high horse. He was for sure. He was sitting on his high. He's like, I hear you guys trying to to uh, get some of Ticketmaster's money, and yeah, I hear you so guys nice. on the other hand saying that you know you're not supported as an artist, right? So, you know. Let me just put this out there. What if we make it non-transferable, gets rid of all the bots, you know, problem solved. And then he goes around the whole fucking table and he's like, what do you think? What do you think? And then he used the word debacle. And I've been fucking saying that word for like the last four days. Debacle. You gotta say it with a draw. Debacle. Debacle. What a debacle! Because it is an absolutely treacherous display of debauchery. It is a debacle. What you did, President of Live Nation. But no, like, uh, talking about, that's a big topic, the non-transferable. Um, will you go back into why you think it's not a good idea? I think you're just messing with the free market. Like, if I think if I buy that ticket, I should be able to do whatever I want with it. Okay. I don't think they should be able to say I can't resell it. I buy a house, I have the right to resell it. I buy a car, I have the right to resell it. I buy a phone, I can resell it if I want. Why shouldn't I be able to resell a ticket? Right. 
now, Jay, where are you at on the non-transferable? Because I think that's a big deal in how they move forward with uh, what they're going to do in this specific industry. I think it would absolutely be a mistake. Stuff happens. People get sick. Um, and you're expected to put up money for these events months in advance when a lot of the times people don't necessarily know if uh, they'll have a work off, if they'll be healthy, if their families will be healthy. There's so many different things that can happen. And the fact that you're expected to put up money in advance for these events and then potentially your, all the liability sits on the consumer at that point, mm -hmm. which I, just, I, I think that's, that's an issue. Yeah, the transferability is not the problem. It's the industrial scale scalping and it's the bots. That's it. So the solution needs to be for the industrial scale scalping. I don't know if you make it so that people can only buy a certain amount of tickets. Uh, I really, I'm not that educated on that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, you know, Johnny goes in with 100K, buys 1,000 tickets, and then just waits a week or two and then resells them for 20, 30, 40% profit. Uh, I mean, something's got to be done. I'm not educated <laughs> enough on that, the inner workings of that to give a real solution. But mm -hmm. we need a solution for that and get rid of the fucking bots. Like, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they just got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And with, uh, I mean, obviously, like I've said, there's, there's kind of two factors at play here, but they do intertwine in that. Live Nation being a monopoly and controlling every aspect of the live event experience may incentivizes them to not deal with the bots. Because as we stated before when we discussed the bots, the bots make sell out immediately. Check. And in addition to that, they're making money multiple times over because they control these secondary retailers as well. Yep, and then they they reap the benefits from that. And so the reason why I brought that up and I wanted to hear your guys' opinion on it is because I feel like it's one of the foundational uh, foundational decisions that they're going to make. And then from there, I feel like they're going to move forward, right? And obviously this issue is, uh, it's part of a bigger issue, you know, that we hope that the Senate gets into this year and continues to work together. I thought that they did a great job. Uh, thank you guys, you know. Appreciate it. Our tax dollars were well spent there. And then uh, also, uh, when it's if it's non-transferable, right, it kind of infringes on you owning it, right? If you buy it, you should own it, right? Like if you buy your house, you should be able to sell it. Um, also, like these secondary companies, these secondary ticketing companies that they are that they do have a reach on, right? These companies, it's brought up the fact that these companies could be the, the competition f to Ticketmaster, right, if they have the opportunity to. And we're going to see, based on the policies that they make, the opportunity that the secondary ticket uh, sites well, have. They become primary ticketing sites yes, in they, this scenario. They probably would, right? Well, if there was no transferability, they essentially regulate the secondary ticketing market out of existence. Yes, exactly. That, that's the whole thing, which in, in a certain sense, it's like, all right, well since there's really only one primary ticketing company and non-transferable, meaning these secondary ticket ticketing sites, right? They're going down. They so, don't have a product. So then there's no competition in general, which leads to the lack of innovation, which leads to us, the people, getting shittier products, getting a shittier experience at this entertainment. Mm -hmm. You know, when things get commercialized like that, um, more times than not in history, you know, the quality goes down. Yeah, the consumer's the one that suffers. And 
I'll say this, I would even go a step further than just splitting up Live Nation and Ticketmaster. I think that as long as Ticketmaster has a hand in both the primary ticket sales and the secondary ticket sales, there will be increased incentive for them to not deal with bots. Mm -hmm. Well, incentive or not, we need the regulation to force them to. True. Yes. I think, but I think they should spin off the secondary ticketing platform off of Ticketmaster. I think they should break it up into three. I don't think that breaking them up into two um, companies will be enough with their strong arm grip on the industry. Plus, in, in my book, right, if you're the number one, right, person, and businesses solve problems, right, uh, and them solving that problem is how they provide value to the market. Now, if they're uh, one of the problems that they have to solve is bots, right? Then fucking solve it, first of all. And it's no excuse that you can't solve it. And three, you know, nobody gives a fuck uh, that you couldn't solve it. What are you going to do about it? And is that guy telling us what he's going to do about it? You know, we're going to look into getting better at it and all this stuff, you know? Whereas in that hearing, Senator brings up, I think she was from Hawaii. Uh, she brings up the fact that they said that they were going to start solving the bots at a concert that happened in Hawaii where thousands of people lost their similar scenario to what happened with Taylor Swift, right? And in, I think it was 2017, they said that they were going to, no, 2020. Don't quote me on the year. It was within the last six years. They said that they were going to work very hard on solving bots, right? And then what... Uh, she said to him, uh, the president of Live Nation was, hey, like, what have you guys, <clears throat> what have you guys done since then to, to solve these bot problems? And then he went on to say, this is an ever-changing issue and all this stuff. And just a bunch of fucking, you know, we're kind of, we're working on it type deal. But it's like, when you are the number one, when you, when the problem that you solve uh, in the industry is getting these people's tickets to them safely, and affordably, um, then nobody gives a shit that you can't solve the bots. Like, you guys are in the wrong. Take ownership of it, uh, you know, be a man, hypothetically, right? Be a woman and solve it. This is the problem that you solve. That's why you guys make the big bucks. And uh, yeah, and on top of that, nobody has the opportunity to solve it or have a more innovative way to solve it because of Live Nation's reach. So those are all things I think uh, I wanted to say, and also I, I don't support the non-transferable tickets. You know, I think that if you pay for something, uh, just like the video game thing that we brought up earlier where now we're paying for games that we don't have on hard copy and if they ever have their servers go down, you know, that money or, you know, um, that exchange of uh, value that we provide to this company to get the game is gone, you know, so. I don't like that. I like owning things. Uh, and, you know, I'm a fucking, I'm a diehard patriot, you know. I'm, I'm not uh, on either side. And uh, where I'm at is trying to make this world a better place. And uh, I think that these issues being brought to our Senate is the best thing for us. And uh, proud of the Senate. Uh, it's a great representation of what uh, democracy can do. And let's hope that this goes into other um, industries, you know? Let's hope that maybe this was like the easiest one to solve. Oh, yeah. it's not solved yet. Right. That was just 
the outlining of the problem. Mm -hmm. You're right. It's literally just the first step that was taken. Yeah, I am curious to see, uh, well, first public step because the Department of Justice has these ongoing investigations. Uh, I think we should definitely do a breakdown of the results of those investigations when that comes out as yeah. a follow-up to this because I'm curious to see what they find out because they already know that the president's been strong-arming people. He, he's going to go nuclear. <laughs> I can't believe he like, literally typed that in an email. Like That's just so damning. We will go nuclear. Damning indeed. Yeah, so like, if you guys enjoyed what we did uh, here today, it sounds like uh, you're going to have a part two coming at you guys. Uh, we are the New School Project. We're a movement. Uh, we're in the Midwest. We're in the Mitten, Michigan. And uh, we'd like to see uh, the entertainment industry not have monopolization. We'd like it to see competition, have it be innovative. And uh, yeah, we'd also like to just keep bringing you guys news. So if you guys like this, uh, we have um, a bunch of other content that you guys can see both on uh, Instagram, uh, YouTube, uh, Spotify, and Apple podcast and uh we'd love to hear what you guys have to say about uh either how we did or some things we said or if you guys want to bring some things to our attention uh my name's nolan claypeck i'm the peck man jones i'm max kuzmalski thanks everyone for listening and i'm jay cotter thank you for giving us your time i hope you learned a little bit of something new today and this is the motherfucking new school project damn right it is